you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Andor, The Mandalorian, The Acolyte, all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Uh, this is episode 201. We are finally over the hump of uh, you know our, our 200th episode and our 10-year anniversary celebration that we got to do on our last episode. Um, and we're back talking about the second half of the season of Andor. Um, so let's just jump right into it. As always, uh, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? It's going good. Hard to believe that Andor's already finished. We have 12 episodes, uh, nine weeks of new Star Wars TV content. It's over now, but excited to talk about what we just saw, because it was definitely a Star Wars experience that was quite different from anything else we've gone before. So I uh, should make for some good discussion, as always. Yeah, this is a this is something that I think that we all were just it, it, it's I don't know there's a lot there's a lot Andor's going to have a huge impact on Star Wars in so many different levels and I and yeah there's a lot to get into as far as maybe not episode by episode per se because it's a lot more nuanced than all the other series we've gotten before and that's not a bad thing it's just it's different and I think that it's definitely appealed to certain people differently. And it's just, it's, it, it kind of, it's, it's polarizing a little bit, you know, um, in some ways and, and in some ways it's not, it's just, it's very unique that way. And I think, but I, the one thing I've said before, and I don't think it, it's by itself in a band or it's by itself in a sense to where it's going to be its own, like it, it's its own self-important thing. But this kind of represents, I think, the ushered ushering in, in a new gold, uh, not golden age, but like a, a new age for uh, the people that are influenced by these stories who are watched The Mandalorian, they've watched Andor, Obi Wan, uh, Tales of the Jedi. These are these stories that will, will that push Star Wars forward afterwards, whether it be the writers or whoever inspires or whatever. To me, this puts a different spin and take on Star Wars that will take the, take it somewhere we won't won't even ever expect that even Gilroy himself will have expected because of being influenced by the show and that itself I think is really fascinating and I and I'm I just can't wait to see what this means for Star Wars going forward in different aspects but yeah the show itself is is going to be interesting to talk about and kind of you know the nuances that it has yeah definitely there's gonna be a lot to cover uh because the last time we talked about it was after episode six the eye which um definitely left things on a high note that was an incredible episode 
Um, but we've got the whole six episodes in the back half to talk about. Real quick, before we jump into um, talking about Andor, and I'm kind of springing this on you guys because we didn't even talk about this before we started recording. But I did want to real quick just mention the news from a few weeks ago. This is kind of old news at this point, but um, they announced the casting for The Acolyte. Um, and uh, the fact that that show is now in production. So we've got yet another Star Wars years to look forward to. And obviously we've known about it for a while, but um, hey, these days it's a big deal when a Star Wars project gets announced and then actually makes it to production. So um, <laughs> that's, that's a big milestone. Uh, but we got a uh, an announcement of nine of the cast members. We've got uh, Amanda Stenberg, who we knew was going to be the lead in this, um, but then joined by Lee Jung Jae, uh, Manny Jacinto, Daphne Keene, Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Charlie Barnett, Dean Charles Chapman, and Carrie Ann Moss. Um, so some big names on that list. Uh, Lee Jung-Jae, of course, was the lead guy in Squid Game. Um, and I think Daphne Keene was uh, the girl from Logan. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, of course, big name in, in sci-fi with The Matrix and everything. So um, cool to see some some familiar names that we didn't know were going to be in this show. Um, and it'll be really cool to see what kind of additions these guys are to the Star Wars universe. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and then they also, I'm trying to find where it is because it wasn't in this tweet, but um, they released the first uh, the first official, um, you know, like plot synopsis for the show as well. Um, let me see. I clicked over to the starwars.com link so yeah here it says the accolade is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the high republic era a former padawan reunites with her jedi master to investigate a series of crimes but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated um so that sounds really exciting. First of all, we're getting right back into like we knew the show was going to take place in the high republic but this is the first time that we got it confirmed that like Jedi are going to be the main characters. Um, and this is going to be uh, really the first show so far. I mean, I know we had Obi-Wan obviously, but that was more, you know, he starts off at the beginning, like having lost his way as a Jedi and it's about him kind of re refinding that. Um, but this is going to be the first show that, you know, takes place like in like the first live action Star Wars series for Disney Plus, it takes place like in the Republic time period. Jedi are the main characters at the height of the Jedi Order. It's almost like going back to the prequels. Um, so that'll be really cool to see. But also, I mean, we knew that the accolade was going to be kind of about like emerging dark side powers and stuff. And so I was thinking maybe like some dark side acolyte was going to be the main character and that the Jedi maybe were going to be in the background and stuff. So the fact that the Jedi are going to be front and center here. And that the whoever this dark side acolyte is um, is maybe going to be like the main threat or the the main plot of the story is they're trying to figure like track track down this person or find out who this person is as opposed to um, that being the the main protagonist um, is really intriguing. So I'm I'm looking forward to this even now, even more now. It sounds like a really interesting premise. It's a great cast. So. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see this probably in 2024, I'm guessing at this point. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. This might sound weird, but I actually found that description. I mean, it sounds great, obviously, Jedi involved, but I was actually got a little disappointed when I read that because as you were mentioning, Kyle, one of the things I was really excited about this series, just going into what we've heard about it, where it was going to focus on the dark side. Um, where I was hoping that that the main characters that, that we're going to be following in the series would be 
like a young dark side apprentice or a synth apprentice and a Sith mastered story that we're going to get. That was, I found really intriguing to be the focus on a star Wars TV show to have that be your main characters that you're going to follow where it's pretty much the bad guys, so to speak. But um, so maybe it's still, it's maybe it'll be more of a balanced focus, but um, once reading that is going to be a Jedi and his former Padawan kind of investigating um, certain things that happen. It does lead me to believe that that is like those are going to be our main characters to focus on at least for a bit maybe there'll be a switch once the mystery gets revealed and uh, we learn more about um the dark side users in the story but at first when i heard that i was a little bummed uh, i was really hoping that this would really focus on darks like a, a sith master and apprentice type of story but and again maybe it could be but reading that synopsis it kind of tempered <laughs> my expectations about that just a little bit so um we'll see it doesn't didn't lessen my excitement for the series much at all. I mean, who's going to complain about a story focusing on, you know, Jedi <laughs> during this period um, in the timeline. So yeah, just, I guess I might have to rearrange my focus as far as what to expect um, the story to follow. So we'll see, but the cast is great. Like you said, um, some great names in there. Uh, Daphne Keene, I'm really looking forward to seeing her in yeah. the project because she was awesome as Laura in Logan. And obviously, this is a few years later, so to see how she's developed as an actor in the Star Wars universe is going to be great to see. So, yeah, just I'm excited. It's finally in production. Like you said, <laughs> we know it's actually going to happen. So um, can't wait to see more of it once uh, probably more filming gets done and the eventual first looks and trailers and all that stuff. It's going to be fun just to kind of see how the series develops moving forward now that it's actually started production. Well, you know, and I think that's a fair thing to say, Tim, because I'm with you. I, and I, I again, because kind of ties into Andor a little bit too. Is is you kind of wonder where Disney is going to try to push Star Wars a little bit, and they definitely are willing to go a different route, and um, which is cool. And I and it does not to get too far in the weeds here, but it does kind of bum me out when the, you can tell viewership for Andor is not doing as well as they'd like because they're trying to push it on different networks potentially to try to garner up some interest on it. Um, even though I think it's critically acclaimed, everyone, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of artists out there would tell you they'd rather be a smash hit than a critical darling, you know, kind of a thing. If you had to choose between the two, um, with the, with the, with the mainstream audience for financially financial reasons, whatever that those financial reasons are, because Lord knows streaming is makes my head hurt for the whole idea of what that, what that entails. That all being said, I think you're right. That it is a little bit disappointing that it's not going, you know, with a name like the Acolyte, what does that exactly mean? And I think that lies the mystery of itself, to be honest. So I don't want to lose hope necessarily yet. It is called the Acolyte. It's not, if it was called Star Wars High Republic, where are the dark people? You know, <laughs> I mean, sorry, I meant dark side people. It's not, it's not like, oh, I was out of bad. I apologize, everybody. No. <laughs> oh, woo! What kind of night? No, um, but but in all seriousness, but where are the dark siders? I mean, that, it'd be it'd be different if it was labeled something like where it could it'd be like, wow, oh, they retitled it to be something stupid. Okay, whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's it, but it's not. It's called the acolyte, and it's got a big red lightsaber kind of you know as a insignia or part of the the logo. So I don't think it's gonna be full on. Uh, no, not exactly what you're saying. It may be half and half because I. I avoided spoilers. I know there, there's a lot of there's a lot of leaks out there that are, are both false and true. It sounds like, or maybe some kind, of, or they've evolved a little bit. I will. I don't know, and I've forgotten most of them. Thank God. I will say, I wouldn't be shocked if it was that was the mystery 
And in the, as the mystery kind of unfolds itself, it becomes that darker show mm-hmm. over time, which I wouldn't be opposed to because I do like that idea that it is like we're, the mystery aspect is really intriguing. We haven't really had that in Star Wars. I mean, think about this, guys. We haven't really had that since like episode one and two and episode seven and eight. Like, and, and, and even the sequel trilogy had, but even as every movie got revealed, we got more of a story and we can't, there wasn't as m- more mystery. This is the first legit mystery we're going to be getting in like a while. And I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Like the fact that the show is called the acolyte, that the, just the style of the logo and everything is very like dark side styled. I think that is still going to be like, you know, front and center in the story is like revealing these dark powers and stuff. So I think that's going to be um, still an integral part of the show, just sort of from the Jedi's perspective of discovering that as opposed to kind of centering the story on the, the dark side user, but also like we could get varied perspectives too. I'm sure we'll see a, a lot of stuff with whoever this acolyte is. Um, and yeah, I think there definitely is some, some potential for a lot of cool mystery and some cool twists and reveals and stuff. Um, as the Jedi obviously have no idea, um, you know, who these guys are or sort of what's going on in this time period as we're just starting to sort of lay the the bricks for, um, you know, what's, what's going to go down in the prequels. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really cool. Um, I wonder if, I mean, this is probably thinking too far ahead. I'm like, at Celebration next year, we maybe could get a little teaser. Um, oh, yeah, I think we definitely could. Maybe not released online to everybody but for those who are there it's definitely possible to because I mean, that's a good they show stuff good. for ahsoka that early on a production this would be way into well the only cycle. the only reason i'm i'm hesitant is because there'll be so much other stuff to talk about at celebration like um mando season three will have just wrapped and then there'll be um i'm assuming i could be wrong but i'm assuming that ahsoka isn't going to come out till after celebration next year so i'm sure there'll be a lot of stuff hyping that up um and then skeleton crew as well coming out later in the year so um yeah but you're i I think you're right we maybe could uh i say we like i'm not going to be at celebration next year because it's in europe so the people there probably will get like an exclusive sneak peek that then of course will leak online and we'll all be scrambling to the screen recorded off twitter before it gets taken down so um yeah but i'm looking forward to seeing more and, and seeing who all these people end up playing um but yeah it seems like it's gonna be a really cool show um so anyway speaking of cool shows let's get back to talking about andor um and i'll kind of just you know we we were talking about this beforehand we're like we're not going to go through all six episodes beat by beat we mainly want to focus on uh episode 10 uh no way out or one way out um and then the finale rick's road and we'll kind of just fill in the story leading up to the to to that point um but i'll just start off by saying one the the thing that i probably appreciate the most about the second half of the season and i think uh, i remember talking about this in the first half and and kind of hoping that this was going to be the case and i think they really did deliver on that which is that the first three episodes and then the second three episodes really did feel kind of like two distinct story arcs and um it's like from episode one to three, the, the momentum kind of built up, reached a, a fever pitch in episode three, and then went back down and kind of started over in episode four and built back up in episode six. 
Um, but then the rest of the way, the momentum kind of just kept building off of that. And it kind of rolled the two stories into each other um, where it was not just like the separate story on, on you know, the, the first story arc on Ferrix and then the second story arc on Aldani. But then you started seeing the fallout of both of those stories where you're seeing the Empire starting to, to take over on Ferrix and they're looking for Cassian after the events there. And then you've got them investigating Aldani and the fallout of that whole situation and seeing the Empire really kind of like tightening its grip all over the galaxy um, and increasing security measures and stuff as a result of both of those incidents. Um and so I, I was glad that like episode seven didn't kind of go back down and, and kind of start the momentum from scratch with a whole new story arc. It really did start to, it took those first two story arcs, kind of combined them together and, and just built the momentum off of um, the stories that both of those had told and, and just kept progressing forward. So I really like that. Um, of course, in episode seven, you have Cassian trying to lay low and he goes to the beach planet and gets arrested by shore troopers. And uh, we see the K the KX droids for the first time. Um, and then, you know, he gets thrown in prison. We get the whole prison arc uh, where we meet Andy circus back in star Wars as Kino Loy. And he was a fantastic character. Also surprise, surprise, surprise Cassian's yeah. in prison with <laughs> Melshi. Um, and it was cool to see him in there. So, um, but man, that whole, that whole three episode prison arc, um was just really um i don't know, really really tense really effective really well done um i mean this show showed a whole new level of the empire as just really um you know terrible and controlling and and you know abusing their power and committing all these atrocities um and doing things like you know i, I mean heck even in the the big riot in the finale we see a lot of like pro police brutality going on we see here a lot of corruption and manipulating of prison sentences and using prisoners for forced labor and stuff like that. And I've heard some people complain that like, Oh, this feels too close to real life and almost, you know, feels like it's, it's trying to be too like hitting the nail on the head as far as like a modern political allegory or something like that. But I don't think it's even so much like them trying to make a statement like, Oh, this is our modern day society or, Oh, this is, you know, the American government or whatever. I just think I think the reason it sort of looks so similar or looks so familiar is just because it's realistic. And like these are the kind of tactics that the Empire would have to do. Um, you know, you watch the Star Wars movies where it's all sort of whimsical space fantasy and you can believe like, oh, Palpatine says or execute order 66 and then stands up and says the Republic is now an empire. And now the Empire is in control. But when you have a show like Andor, when it's a lot more you know, sort of nitty gritty, like on the ground and the day to day of, of, uh, you know, these people living their lives on these planets and how they're affected by all this. It's like, no, you can't just like snap your fingers and there's stormtroopers everywhere. And everybody's just like living their lives, doing what the empire says. Like there's a lot that would have to go into that. Um, and even like in, um, in, I'm, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead to the finale here, but I'm, I'm talking about this as it refers to these prison episodes, like Nemec's manifesto, when he talks about how, um, I forget his exact line, but he talks about how like tyranny takes work um, because it's, it's unnatural. And so you have to mm -hmm. like work so hard to enforce that and there are going to be cracks and there's going to be leaks and, and, you know, it, kind of the whole, like the, the more, like Leia says to Tarkin, the more you tighten your grip, the more it's going to slip through your fingers. Um, 
it's like you really see that in in a lot of the empire's you know tactics and and operations throughout this entire show but really in you know in this prison as well um you just see uh you know the the lengths that they're going to to instill fear and control and um sort of in, enforce their will and and keep their hold on the galaxy um so I, I really enjoyed just seeing a whole different side of the empire. And like I said, for me, the biggest thing was just like, oh, it makes sense that like logistically, this is how they would actually have to run things. If you're actually going to have a tyrannical regime that is keeping a stranglehold on, you know, thousands of civilized planets. Um, so it was just a, a, a sort of deeper dive. Um, I don't know, look at, at how that would work. And I think this, this prison episode or these prison episodes were a great example of that. And you even see how like, you know, rather than have the place loaded with stormtroopers, they're like, you know, we're just going to have a few guards and have like electrified floors. Like there's no prison cells, there's no bars, there's no, you know, it's not super high security. It's just like the, (laughs) you know, there were a bunch of memes and jokes and stuff that it like, it's a a super intense game of like the floor is lava. Um, (laughs) You know, where it's like, it's just, you're going to do what we tell you to. And if not, like, if you don't, you're going to fry because we can turn on the floor and electrify you. And and we just are going to keep enough people around to make sure you're doing what you need to do. Um, It was also just, you know, it was a really cool new sort of twist on, um, you know, sort of like a, a dystopian prison sort of situation, like something we've never really seen before. So um overall just the whole the whole setup um and premise of that story arc i thought was just really cool yeah i mean just going what you're saying about the empire i mean this is kind of i think what lucas always wanted to show the empire being that tyrannical dictatorship rulership over the galaxy where you see why these rebel factions are formed wanted to overthrow them because of how they're treating different locations the planets people in the galaxy and like it's I think that's what was really great about the show overall, just really showing how evil and brutal the Empire is to so many different people and planets across the galaxy like we've never seen before in Star Wars. I'll kind of talk more about that in the finale, but um, just the prison arc showed another side of that and how um, not only would they treat the prisoners for that um, labor that they were doing, but how they got the prisoners too, as we found in Episode 7, because when that episode first aired, I was kind of thinking i don't know how i felt about like andor just being randomly picked out or chosen and pinned had a crime pinned on him um just went out he was trying to get away from everything because i always thought just from the trailers and when we're watching the aldani arc that somehow he'd be get caught maybe trying to escape or uh, be tied to it and that's how he'd get arrested um but then when i saw it was just you know being accused of running by a random short trooper and that's how he got into that prison like that's not how i was expecting i'm not sure like how that how i feel about that being the reason but then thinking about it is like no that's actually a perfect reason and more of a motivation for him to see the empire as they truly are as someone who is just out there doing nothing and he gets something pinned on him for that he didn't even do and then he's stuck for at that time in his head it's going to be many years doing that um manual labor as for something that he had no choice in the matter of doing so so it just that choice i felt eventually definitely worked for the better where it just was going to reinforce more into his character to fight against the empire especially um how he got there and then what how he saw they were being treated and then what eventually happened 
in that arc. So it was definitely a nice lead up, even though it didn't quite, I'm not gonna say it didn't quite work for me, but it just it made me question it a bit. Just watching it for the first time is that being the reason. But eventually, once you see all that whole story unfold, it does make it that much more compelling, I think, when he's in there for something. Um, he, he's in there when he shouldn't have been there at all. So, yeah. And just real quick, before we move on from episode seven, um, the one thing, I mean, I got to mention it because I was excited about it from the trailers, was the flashbacks where we're getting as Cassian as a kid and we're going to see the clone troopers. My one uh, problem I have with that is that they pretty much showed every shot of that flashback with the clone troopers in the trailers. <laughs> there was like no new footage or the, there was no dialogue or anything like that with them. So I wish they would have saved a few things or not show so much Never changed, from that Jim. flashback since. Oh, and I never will. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just like there's going to be a, such a short flashback sequence anyway. Don't show so much of it in the trailer. So, but it was cool seeing that. I and mean, it was kind of directed differently too and shot differently where it's like you would see Cassian in the present and then it would quickly go to the flashback. Then you see his face in the present as he's being reminded of that moment where it kind of threw me off for a bit. It was like, okay, so it's cat was this the period where Cassian was older or whatnot, but when you definitely see it's when he was a younger kid um, going and trying to fight against uh, those clone troopers there. But um, it was definitely something that was cool to see to get that flashback moment. Um, just wish they didn't show it all in the trailer. But yeah, episode seven, I think it was even kind of saying it not necessarily a self-contained episode, but it was one that I wasn't going to be part of a major like arc because it's picking up from Aldani and at the same time leading into the prison arc. So it's like aspects of both those story arcs in that one episode. So that is kind of, I think Tony Gilmore was kind of referring to it as the episode that isn't part of one story arc as the rest were in this season, but kind of picking off on one and leading into the other, but definitely some great setup that it had in that one between the flashbacks and what Cassian's going through and what he wanted to achieve. And then where he ends up being by the time that episode ends and when it sets in motion later on for the rest of the series. Ironically, I think episode seven might be one of my favorite episodes of the series. Um, because it is this kind of glue that builds and connects the two main parts together. And it is kind of an an anomaly. Uh, I can't, I cannot pronounce things any at all. Uh, But um, the thing is that it's so unique and it does set up. it, it, It very much is the handoff between the episode six and episode eight. And that, it really does kind of it bookends and says goodbye to that other part. And it really introduces you, introduces you to the real, you know, tyranny of the empire that we were, we, we kind of already knew we established people are oppressed, but we got to see it in full force yep. and how over the top it was at that point. And I, it definitely, I don't know, there's something about this that episode I just loved. It just seemed very real and very raw, but very Star Wars at the same time. And I got to tell you, as and this will be kind of a theme, I think, with me going forward a little bit. Andor's not exactly always 1,000% Star Wars as far as, like, in my opinion, and the look and feel of it. And that's in general. It's It's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. This episode gave me more of that because there's more familiar things in it, like the, the shore troopers, the K2S droids, um, the aliens on the beach, how the natural setting it was. It felt very natural, even, even when like after Anan wakes up from night of passion lovemaking, 
uh, passionate lovemaking <laughs> from the night before. Uh, this this the room itself felt Star Wars to me, even even though it's not it's you know whatever, right? It just felt more in that world than any of the other episodes before. Even and now, granted, I love um, you know. It, God, I forgot. I'm so bad. With, what's the planet's name? Um, uh, oh, the main no, no, the, the main one. Ferrex. I wanted to call it Carex, but no, it's Ferrex. It's <laughs> um, it, even with Carex, it has, and I like the, the different look it has, to be honest, but it doesn't always feel 1000% Star Wars to me all the time, which is not a bad thing. This has felt more in this line of the spirit of Star Wars and not just like we're doom and glooming it and just got to feel a different vibe today. You know, it's that's not what they were going for in that episode. It felt more like lived in Star Wars that I liked, and it wasn't just a full, you know, big downer the whole time. Um, it just was nice, even though it ended on a big downer, right? But it just felt more in line with that idea. And I love this. I watched the episode many times, and this to me solidified, though it didn't mean need much solidifying, was the music of the show was just so good. I mean, it was to me. The, the, one of the superior aspects of the show to me was the music. I thought the music was so, so beautiful and, and just, just very um, versatile. Um, I, I think the music in Star Wars has really been taken. It's been in held in, you know, with uh, um, the guy from the Mandalorian. I always forget his name. Um, no surprise there. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like there is so much good music that the composers were getting. And I think Mandalorian and Andor really have upped the game overall, to be honest. Like, John Williams is untouchable, but these guys are doing their own thing, and it's evident, and they're leaving their own mark on Star Wars. And that's something to be said. I think um, Michael G. Aquino's Rogue One score is solid. It's not, I don't think it's amazing like a lot of people think it is. It's it's good for what it is. Let me get it wrong. He only had, what, six weeks to do it? That's pretty dang impressive. Um, that being said, I think, um, I forgot the composer's name is Nick something. Um, he, it's, uh, Nicholas Bertel. Yeah. Bertel. Nicholas Bertel is just incredible, man. Incredible composer. I've been really impressed. And I just think that's one of the things that that episode really stuck out to me. Cause it did all kinds of different crazy things. I love the house music, if you will, uh, for the episode where it has like the, the alien birds flying on the beach. Oh my God. That song's so good. Um, so yeah, just, I loved this episode and I, and I liked the lead into um, what we're about to get into. And you talked about it before. It's, you know, the whole lava game. It's funny. My brother who hasn't seen the show at all, he was playing the lava game with my daughter the other day. That was really funny. You mentioned that, um, <laughs> but no, but that's, but I, I did like to see the tyranny and, and leading in episode eight and nine into that and meeting uh, Kino and, and Bill, because as soon as you established Kino's character, you know, at least for me, I, I think it's not, I'm like, it's obvious what they're doing with this at this point. So it was, it was interesting to kind of see it slow build from there. And again, not a detriment, but it definitely was that slow build to what Cassian will be fighting for um, eventually. So yeah, I, I did love this build up and then and Melchi, like I didn't even realize it was him. I'm like, Oh God, that is Melchi. And I loved him. And, and I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bummed out that he like ran off pretty quick without, I thought this was going to be like a, a sort of a beautiful friendship, um, you know, but it, not quite yet. Um, no, I'm a little I, bummed about that. I think he'll but, definitely be back for season two. Well, yeah. yeah oh yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll be back. But I mean, like I just thought this was the start of like something else, but then granted what we got in the last two episodes, it makes more sense why he doesn't. So 
but yeah, I, I did thought I did think Melchi was going to be kind of like his go-to partner for a minute for a minute there. But it was cool establishing that relationship there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because um, I feel like the the show as a whole does this, and you kind of touched on it, Tim, with even just like Cassian getting arrested, and how you would expect that, like, oh, he would have gotten arrested for the Aldani incident, um, but instead he gets arrested just for like resisting a, a random shore trooper that's trying to shake him down or whatever. Um, which first of all, if you think about it, it, makes sense because if they caught the guy that they knew was behind the Aldani heist, like they probably would have executed him. Um, or at the very least given him a much harsher prison sentence than, you know, the, the six weeks that turned into six months or whatever, or was it six months that turned into six years? Six years. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also I know we're, well, we'll maybe save this reveal for the end, but you know, we, it makes sense why the empire is upping these prison sentences. They need the prisoners working <laughs> on something special. Um, but but anyway, I mean, the, the show does have a lot of sort of um, almost random coincidences or things that don't happen in the way that you would expect from like traditional storytelling. Um, and I kind of like that. Like it's it it doesn't work for everything like it wouldn't work for every kind of Star Wars story. But I think for um, for the type of story that Andor is, I think it's really effective because it just reminds you um again like this is this is real life these are um you know so i was gonna say these are real people obviously they're fictional but it's a very like this is not high fantasy star wars this is like everyday lives of the everyday normal people living in this galaxy kind of star wars and this is just the type of stuff that would happen to them even if it's not sort of what you're used to from traditional storytelling even you know, I think back to like um, the the Aldani heist and, you know, like some of the, the characters that get killed off in this show uh, very suddenly. And we don't like spend a lot of time mourning them or, you know, it's not like, oh, big shocking close up on their face as they fall to their death. It's just like, boom, blaster bolt hits him. He's down on with the mission like we keep going um, or even like Marva, um, who, you know, it's kind of a big deal that like oh she's not doing well they're trying to take care of her is cassian gonna make it back in time um and then like she dies off screen um and you would think like oh well you know like you would think that maybe her death would have been a big moment that they would have included in the show but that's very realistic that like you you're not always there to say goodbye to people um and you know sometimes like you you find out that something happened without you and then you have to sort of move on and deal with that um, so there's a, a lot of different things kind of like that, um, where it's just the, the way that certain events played out felt kind of unconventional or maybe sort of jarring at first. Um, but then when you think about it, it's like, oh, that, yeah, I, I like it, it maybe caught me off guard at first, but like, it makes sense or it's, it's not, um, unbelievable. So, um, yeah, that was kind of how I felt with, you know, Cassian just randomly getting arrested like this. Um, even also, you know, with with him and Melchi um, going their separate ways and even with uh, with Kino as well, like, you know, his end, quote unquote, I don't know, we very much very well could see more of him later. Um, but at first, like that felt sort of anticlimactic to me. Um, but then it was just like, but like, that's something that could happen. Yeah. Um, which we'll talk about more about when we when we get to the end of um the, the prison breakout part. I'm trying not to jump too far ahead here, but um yeah, there was just well, something yeah. o with the, the storytelling overall that I thought was very interesting about the show, but I, I kind of like it. And again, like it it's 
one of the the many aspects of Andor that I don't think would work for every Star Wars series, but that I think worked really well in this show. And I, I want to make that very clear, I think, for this show specifically, is that they did a lot of things differently, and they were because... And I, I think the reason why it's so it's polarizing and people have certain people really attach themselves to it is because it is so different than anything that's come before it. And I, I think a part of it is it's you talk about embracing that kind of realism. Well, part of that is because it's embracing the more science fiction aspects of Star Wars. And I've seen people say that, like, oh, yeah, this is this is what Star Wars, you know, has always been hard sci fi. I'm just like, oh, my God, I just drives me nuts when I saw that. Um, you know, but the thing is, it's well established as an aspect of Star Wars that definitely gets downplayed more than people probably think. And Andor did the opposite here and ramped it up. And I think that that's again, to me, it shows the versatility of the franchise because you're showing, like you said, uh, Kyle, this is something that a lot of storytelling aspects you probably don't want it. You couldn't get away with this all the time in Star Wars. It just it just wouldn't work. Um, but with this kind of smaller story and of these characters anyway, it's a lot, you can, you can do a lot more fidgeting with the stories and have a little bit more, again, that nuance approach to the whole idea of how you tell your story. And I like that. And I do think it was a breath of fresh air a lot of times with that. It, Cause again, I, I have lots more to say about this, but I will say that there is a lot of things they've, they did that people, I think if other Star Wars shows did, they probably would be not be happy about. They'd be like, why? But because Andor has a little bit more leeway because it's there's not a lot of connectivity to the fans as far as initially going into it. You develop that relationship over time. Like, like let's be real. That's what you should do for all these shows. But we don't. And I don't think that's a bad thing or it's realistic. Because we we know what we're going into with these with these, a lot of these characters like Obi-Wan. Mandalorian a little bit different. And it handles things a lot differently because of the different audience approaches. But with Andor, you don't have any of that. You have no baggage. You have nothing other than Cassian, who you already know dies at, Rogue, at the end of Rogue One, and you're building up everything around him. And to be quite clear, I love Cassian Andor. I think he's a great actor. I think Diego, Diego Luna is a phenomenal actor. The only thing is, I think the show is actually better despite him and that's not a detriment i'm not saying he's bad by any means i think the other characters are so good it's so much more interesting than even cassian it's that is telling you something that they've done the, the right thing they've established the show from the beginning of what it is built it up so us as fans aren't like what about this what about that oh my god we're like oh no we're so wrapped up in these new characters and they've done such a great job of developing them we don't care it doesn't really matter. And we're taking it as a, I, like we should like any other TV show out there that doesn't, you know, because it has about, it's about star Wars and, and it, it's where before, I think people are a little more harsh on these kinds of things. Or the, some of those, the, the uh, liberties that they take storytelling wise. Well, now with Andor, you don't really have that baggage because people are kind of like, huh, that guy. And then they kind of go, Oh, I love this guy. And that guy, Oh, and this girl is awesome. You know, it, it's a lot different developing it from that more, natural perspective then oh my god this guy looks like the boba fett and oh my god it's little baby yoda oh my god you know it you don't have those expectations as you go you're just building up the story naturally and creatively and people aren't like jumping the gun as opposed to with mandalorian which again mandalorian season two it's still the greatest of all time sorry that's just a facts um you know but but i will say 
Andor does have that, I think, um, advantage of having a more natural audience of kind of going with the story opposed to being like, where is this fitting? Oh my, you know, there's less of that overall from response from fans, from critics, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we said, it, it, the show definitely takes some some big swings that not every show could take. Um, and when we get to the end, you know, we can talk about overall impressions and and some of the the different reactions to this and stuff. But um, like I said, I, I thought that, you know, a, a lot of the choices they made in the second half of the season and the way they built this stuff up was really great, um, especially, you know, like I said, going into now this prison arc where we get, um, you know, we get Cassian in prison, we're introduced to uh, Kino Loy and Melshi and, uh, you know, all these other guys that are on Cassian's team. Now, this is one of those things where um, I wanted to point this out for the, the prison specifically. There were like no aliens in here, um, which is one of the ways in which you could argue that it didn't feel like Star Wars. And yet, like, it felt like it enough that we know that this is taking place within the Star Wars universe and you're really t able to just kind of appreciate the story and like the new side of things that we're seeing and the new information that we're getting about these characters and about the, the inner workings of the empire and the, the formations of the rebellion and all that kind of stuff. Um, but even like when, when Tim and I were together out at uh, when, when I went out there to go to galaxy's edge and everything, and we were watching Andor. Um, and then after we watched a couple of episodes of Andor, we put on, uh episode five of the book of boba fett the mandalorian episode where it starts off with him with the dark saber and he's going to find uh you know he, he kills the guy in like the meat locker and then you know is looking for information to go find the armor and the other mandalorians and stuff and like as soon as the episode started within like 30 seconds where you've got mandalorian armor and dark sabers and all these different aliens like i just turned to tim and i went man i missed this um <laughs> But at the same time, like I, you know, it's just one of the things. It's not a that... knock on Andor either. It's just exactly, you know... exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, I'll, I'll talk about this more once we get into just sort of overall impressions of the show. But you know, there are so many people that are like, uh, Andor doesn't feel like Star Wars, and then there's so many other people that are like, Andor is the best Star Wars, and every Star Wars should be like this. And I'm like, I'm right in the middle. Like, I love. But, yeah, we gotta wait to the end of that because that's that's a whole yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole other podcast. But... There's there's absolutely room for both. Um, can I, can but I, I'm just I... I'm just saying that was one place where like this was probably the 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 story arc where that stood out the most to me. That in this prison of you know hundreds or thousands of people or whatever that there was like not an alien to be found i but um, i think that and to be honest i think that's both again i don't want to get too far ahead here that's both a budget thing and also a storytelling device for the audience to gravitate towards and and i don't and it, listen i even as i say that i don't like saying it but i totally see what they did and it's kind of genius if you think about it, because what they did was they made you care about the characters because it feels real because. Yeah. You, and, and but but I also think if they had let's just say they had a bigger budget, you probably would see more aliens in there. But because of that, I think they're like, you know what, let's use our budget for a different reason. Let's focus on this aspect to be only humans so that way the audience can really like connect to these characters because I mean, and now. I don't need that. I know you guys don't need that, but I think the mainstream audience and certain people connect to that. I th and honestly, I think there's little subtle things they did here 
like this, for instance, that I think helps propel storytelling devices to really drive home a, a point. And this where I, even though I don't love the idea, what you're saying, I'm like, ah, it's kind of sucks. I wish they had more aliens. I see why they did it for multiple reasons. And it actually, I think was the right decision overall. Even though I, well, I wish I had more aliens. I, I will agree to a certain extent because I, I do think that that is, and, and I, I thought about this as I was watching it. I, I think that definitely was a conscious choice with like the main characters and really with any of the, the speaking roles. Um, because I was thinking like, you know, you could easily, uh, you could have made Kino an alien. You could have made Luthen an alien. You could have made any of the other guys in Cassian's little uh, group of prisoners that were all, you know, the, the guys at his workstation. You could have made any of them aliens. Um, but I do think it's like, obviously we can still connect to those type of characters, but I think, especially I, I would guess Tony Gilroy is maybe the type of guy that like, if you're going to have, you know, great dialogue delivered by a great actor, you don't want to have like either CGI or prosthetics on their face. That's taking away from that performance. Um, and even though Andy Serkis is the master of like being in CGI and still giving a great performance, um, of course, it's also cool. Like he was already Snoke. So I have no problem with him being uh, a human character in this. Um, but it's like, I, I totally, it totally makes sense to me that like Andor is the type of show that like the majority of like the speaking roles and like the main dramatic parts would be humans because they wouldn't just like, they just wouldn't want to distract from the, the emotion and the performance and, and sort of the humanity of that. Um, but also, like I said, when, when there's thousands of inmates in there, it would have been easy to just throw some background aliens in. And maybe it was a budget issue. I don't know. Um, but that's a small, not even, I wouldn't even call it a nitpick. Just maybe, maybe the Empire just wants humans working on that project. That <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it was. it's weird, too, because I feel like I don't know that this has ever been explicitly stated in like the current canon. Um, and I obviously I haven't read all the books and the comics and stuff, but like, I feel like in the EU, it was definitely at least sort of hinted at, or like just sort of generally known that like the empire was yeah. racist and like Palpatine was like a human supremacist. And like, so you would think if anything, that if the empire is using slave labor to build, let's call it what it is, the death star that they would have primarily used aliens and like. In the past, we know that, you know, they used uh, enslaved Wookiees. They, in Rebels, we find out they enslaved Geonosians and had them working on it. Um, so it was just weird to see a, a whole prison full of just humans. But I don't maybe they separate everybody out. Maybe the aliens go to a different prison where they're treated even more poorly. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that was, that was just one um, interesting aspect of this that I took note of. Um, but immediately, you know, I was I was invested in um, all these characters, especially Kino and um, just sort of watching his attitude shift over the course of these episodes where he starts out being like, man, I'm so close to getting out of here. I'm just trying to keep everybody in line. Like, I know this sucks. I know the Empire sucks. I know we don't want to be here. We don't want to be doing this work. But like, it's my job to to whip everybody into shape and keep them working because that's the only way we're going to get out of here. Um and to go from that to then in the second episode of the arc where like you're kind of starting to see the cracks form and like they're hearing the rumors of like what happened down on level five or whatever it was. Um, and Kino at first still telling everybody like there is no rebelling. We are not fighting. We are not getting out of this. Like 
keep your heads down, keep working. Like we're almost out of here. Um, and even Cassian, you know, is asking him like, Hey, like how many guards are on each level? And, you know, he's starting to pry and starting to try to like formulate a plan. And Kino is like, no, like don't involve me in this. We're not doing this. Um, you know, you're just going to get yourself killed. Like leave me out of it. Um, and of course at the end of that second episode, when, uh, when their friend dies, the guy that had like only, you know, four shifts left or, or whatever it was. Um, and he has a stroke, but like, basically I think, you know, died from like overworking. Like he was an older guy. Um, and it's like right before his time was up, the empire basically just worked him to death and seeing that coupled with the fact that they learned from the doctor who's trying to help him that, um, you know, that the empire had like, there was a prisoner whose time was up and was supposed to leave and the Empire has just been shuttling people between different prisons and they accidentally had a mix up and put this guy back in the same prison and everybody found out and they rioted and the Empire had to like wipe out that entire level. Um, and so when Kino finds that out, then Cassian comes back to him and says, how many guards on each level? And he says, no more than 12. Um, and that was might, such a... Might just be the best ending to an episode in this season. It that was, was just great. Such a great moment. Unfortunately for me, I got that one spoiled because I was out of town that week and I didn't get to watch the episode until like two or three days after it came out. And I had seen that line um, and that screenshot like posted as a quote on social media um, where just the how many guards on each level, never more than 12. And of course, in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, no, something's going to go wrong. They're going to plan this breakout thinking that there's no more than 12 guards. And that but then the Empire is going to reinforce it. And there's going to be a whole bunch of guards and like the breakout's going to go wrong or something like that. So I was expecting that that exchange to take place earlier in the episode and then for something to go wrong later. Um, but, uh, you know, then of course it turned out once we were getting towards the end, I was like, Oh, that, you know, kind of seeing the shift in Kino's character. I was like, that's the last line and that's how it's going to end. So I didn't get the full effect of that. Unfortunately, the first time I watched it, um, but still just great ending to the episode, great character development for, for his character over the course of this, because you see what an effective leader he is at just kind of keeping his guys in line and keeping them motivated. And uh, so if you can get somebody like that to lose faith in the empire and, and rally everybody against them, um, you could have some, some pretty effective results, which we see in the next episode. And, uh, Gosh, that that finale of that arc, the one way out. Gosh, we're talking about finales of arcs and stuff. It sounds like we're talking about Clone Wars. But um, <laughs> yeah, just one way out. Then that was the episode that Tim, you and I got to watch together uh, when we were out there in California. And man, what an episode to, to land on to get to watch together because this one was just yeah. incredible. Um, I was excited knowing that but when you were going to be down here, that the episode of Andor would be an episode that would be concluding an arc, which means it should have been a really epic one, <laughs> which this one definitely delivered. Yeah, man. And as we're talking about this, I'm like, I can't wait to go back and watch this show from the beginning because I thought it was great. Um, but also like just from week to week, I feel like there were like little details that I missed, especially because there were so many new characters introduced and a lot of them only had a few minutes of screen time here or there. And um you know, again, it's not like the Mandalorian where you have, it's like, this is Grief Karga. And like, you already seen Grief Karga action figures before you see him in the show. And like, it's really easy to remember who all these big characters are. Whereas Andor has a lot of little side characters and a lot of minute details. And I'm like, I'm sure there's a lot that I missed the first time that I'm going to pick up on um, watching it again. 
but I also just can't wait to to jump to this episode and watch it again. Because even just as I'm thinking about it and we're talking about it, I'm like the just the the way that this episode built up the tension and the suspense and the the music and the way everything was shot and just the progression of the stages of this prison breakout. Um, I think this is like the best prison breakout sequence I've ever seen in a, a TV show or a movie. Because um, I can't remember being that like on the edge of my seat and just kind of awed by what I was seeing and just so entranced in, again, every every shot, every note of the music, every line of dialogue from Kino as he's giving that speech. Um, it was just, it was so well done. Starting with, I mean, you see that Cassian has had, you know, been playing this long game plan where it's like every day he goes to the bathroom, removes a panel, cuts a little bit on this uh you know water pipe with like a dull instrument or whatever that he's got and after doing this for several days or weeks or however long he's been in there um is able to do enough damage to it that he can break the pipe spill water everywhere so that then when the empire tries to short circuit the floors you know the the floor shorts out and it doesn't work and they time this right as the empire is bringing in a new inmate to replace their friend that died and just you know like you seeing all these these elements coming together at just the right time and them inspiring everybody to to break out. And again, too, like I said, you've got guards shooting at people and you've got guys that Cassian was friends with that you thought were going to make it, that they're just down and gone and that's it. And we have to leave them behind because everybody else is still trying to get out. Um, but then, you know, when they get to that control center and uh, they're able to, to take control of the prison and, and Kino gets on the radio and, you know, talks to the whole station and uh just you know at first starts off kind of timid like he's like oh this is kino loy i'm the supervisor on whatever and we've yeah. taken control of the station and cassian's like that's the best you got yeah and, and again you can see um you know kino sort of like unsure of himself and then just as he's talking sort of finding that fire and that motivation um but then also the the tragedy of it, like when, again, to jump ahead to the end, when they all rise up, they all take out all the guards and stuff, and all these prisoners are running, chanting, one way out, one way out. And they get to the exit of the prison, which is like the loading bay where they drop off prisoners, and they have no choice but to just jump into the ocean and swim. And Kino's like, I can't swim. And you realize, oh, shoot, that's part of the reason why he was hesitant to uh you know to try to help with any escape attempt because he knew like he can't get out of here unless they happen to um you know time some escape when there was a ship there or something which is what i initially thought they might try to do um so it was just kind of a, a definitely a tragic ending for him but a heroic sacrifice um that he he inspires everybody and kind of leads this charge of, of everybody to escape this prison when he knows that he can't escape himself um so just added, uh, I mean, that was just a, a huge gut punch there at the end um, and uh, just added another layer of depth to what was such a, a great character that Andy Serkis played over these three episodes. But like I said, that was another one of those moments where at first I was like, really, that's it? Like we get to the end here and like he can't swim? Like that seems kind of anticlimactic. But then again, realizing just kind of putting yourself in the shoes of that character or in the shoes of Cassian in that moment or any of these guys trying to get out. It's just like, that's realistic. Um, you know, you have all these guys escaping this prison, you know, where their only, you know, only option of escape is jumping into the water. There's going to be somebody there that can't swim. Um, 
and like I said, for, for Kino, that just added, uh, you know, sort of more to his character and to his motivations where you realize like, oh, that was, you know, th this whole time he's been trying to help everybody else to an escape that he knows he can't have. So, um, yeah, that was that was an incredible episode. And I'll let you guys give your thoughts on this and just this whole prison prison breakout part before we talk about the other incredible speech uh, to end yeah. the episode. I mean, it was a back-to-back -back two punch with uh, Kino and then Luthen. Um, but we should also backtrack a little bit and, and talk about some of the other sort of subplots that have been going on with, um, with Luthen and Mon Mothma and that kind of stuff um, at the same time as this prison arc. So um, yeah, I'll let you guys just, just give your thoughts on the prison stuff first. Yeah, it was a great arc. I mean, I still sometimes... I still go back and forth on which one's my favorite, this or the Aldani arc. I mean, I, I need to rewatch all of them as one three-episode story. <laughs> all, all three episodes for each arc in a row, I think, to really pinpoint which one's my favorite. But they're both great for different reasons, too. I mean, Andy Serkis, what a great surprise just seeing him show up when uh, Cassian's being brought down to the crew and you see his face like, oh, cool, Andy Serkis is in this. But man, what an impression he made in just three episodes that he was in as being one of the best characters in this series in such a short amount of time. I mean, you just immediately, cause it's Andy circus and you immediately, he gives us all of his performance and you immediately like his character right off the bat. And just to see the change in him as he comes to realize what's actually happening here in the prison and how there is no escape. And as I mentioned before that ending uh, to episode eight, where it was just, um, or I should say episode nine, where, after their fellow inmate dies, they don't say a word to each other as they're walking back. And Cassian just says, how many guards <laughs> on the levels? And he just goes, no more than 12. Like without hesitation, both of them know what needs to be done now. This is their only shot out of there. And just for them to be immediately on that same page together of what they have to do to get out, which is a great way to end the series, like a fist pump moment <laughs> as an audience watching it. And just making you cannot wait for the next episode where we are actually going to see that prison break. And yeah, it was great for all the reasons you said, Kyle. And um, yeah, even at the ending where it gets revealed where Kino says he, he can't go because he can't swim. I think that was like the first thing I said to you when the episode was over. Like, I wasn't expecting that to be the outcome for his character. I think even before we were discussing what possibilities might happen in this episode, he might have the ultimate sacrifice uh, to where he sacrifices himself so Cassian and maybe others can escape. Um, I mean... Again, that's one of those things, as you mentioned, where that's what's great about the series. Even though it's not what you expect, and maybe initially when you're watching it, it might feel a little anticlimactic. But yet, once you kind of process it and think about it, it's where, no, that's actually makes it more tragic for his character, as you mentioned, where he did all this knowing that he's surrounded by water on this ocean here. And he still does everything he can to get the other inmates out. And maybe... He thought for some reason there might be some way for him to escape, but there there wasn't. And for, for him saying he couldn't swim, that's that's it. And this also, too, how realistic it was where Cassian's just going like, what? Like, he couldn't even say, like, oh, come with me, I'll help you. But this the crowd of people just trying to escape, and it just becomes too much for where they he has to go down with them, where that, the force of all those people, that they make him jump down without even really saying goodbye or anything else to Kino, offering help. He couldn't do that, which he probably would have. Um, but just, again, showing that realistic of this, the nature of this prison escape with all those people, it's going to be chaotic um, to get out of there. Everyone just wanted to go. And so, 
yeah, it does make it more for a tragic end or maybe not the end. I don't know. I, I am curious to see what the ultimate fate is for Kino, if we will see him show up anywhere, whether it's in season two or another story eventually down the line. Because um, I really do hope uh, we do find out what happens to him, um, whether he survives and just continues to serve in that prison cell, if it gets reestablished, the Empire takes control over again, or if um, he gets, he, he kills himself maybe for knowing there's no escape, but doesn't want to serve back with the Empire, or the Empire executes him once um, the calm settles down and they reestablish order in that prison cell. I don't know, or he escapes another way. I just <laughs> want to know. I, part of me thinks they want to leave it ambiguous to not know what his fate is, um, but me as being someone who likes to know specifics about characters, uh, especially ones that you really enjoyed to know actually what happened to them. So maybe we'll get that down the line, but yeah, just a great lead up to it too. You mentioned the speech he gave and I loved how it started off as something that he wasn't really sure of or comfortable doing. And Cassian just has to give him that one little push. And I think even too showing Cassian's leadership qualities as well as um inspiring others and being able to push those forward who maybe might be a little reluctant to do things that he knows they're capable of doing um, to get the job done and to succeed in the mission. And in this case, this mission was a prison breakout and he knew what needed to be done. And he knew he had to push um, Kino a little bit to do that. So I think it was even a good moment for uh, Cassian as well, um, knowing what he's going to do more with the rebels too. So yeah, just all around, great arc going back to how it's something different that we don't get to see too much in star wars we got a prison break in the uh reiko hardeen arc in clone wars but um this was on a whole nother level um as far as how it was uh staged developed and with the characters involved and knowing um what was in store for them if they didn't make a prison escape um so yeah just all around just an excellent story arc for this series and i just like you said, too, can't wait to watch it. Watch it again with all three episodes in a row as one complete story. It's going to be even better. I know for a fact it's going to be more impactful, more enjoyable once you see it as one complete story. So definitely looking forward to do that as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add with what you all you all have said. I mean, Andy Circus was awesome. I thought it was it was good. It was good tension. But my to be honest, I thought this arc was was had a great episode. I think the finale was great. But to me, the, I love the subplots of the of the previous of what all these episodes built up to with No Way Out, and that's what I was more interested in and more than anything at this point. So, yeah, I to me the the all these are built on the backbone of for me Luthen and their that whole burgeoning of this rebellion that Mon Mothma all the issues that she's going through. You get to see. What, to me, what's fascinating, I almost feel like Cassian's the vehicle for the stuff that he that Gilroy really wants to talk about, which this to me screams what Gilroy wants to get into is he's trying to get into this part of the Rebel Alliance. And this is the aspect that I think that, that Rogue One did a great job of building towards and, and or showing a, that side of the Rebel Alliance that maybe isn't so great, that has a little bit of a checkered past and maybe not handled things the right way. It's not just all rainbows and unicorns on, yeah. rain, you know, in everything. I really want to say that it feels from the interviews that he's given us, this seems like what's driving Gilroy to do the show overall to me. It feels like it's Luthen is the crux of what's giving Gilroy the motive, the inspiration for this. And Cassian is just the vehicle to get him to that direction. And I haven't, there's a lot to be, I have, I do have some not 
I do have some criticism, miss things to talk about um, with this a little bit. We'll save that to the end because um, for the most part, I loved it. And to me, I this is my favorite aspect of the show is seeing the Mon Mothma aspect and how her story with Luthen, her uneasy alliance, no pun intended, um, with him. And, you know, obviously the other people working with Luthen from the Danny incident of uh, uh, Vel or Val, I forgot what her name is. Um, no surprise there again. God, there's so that's another problem, too. Like you said, Kyle, <laughs> there's so many freaking names, I can't keep track of them all for, for Christ's sakes. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm usually good with character names, but like, again, like by this point, like I remember Vel and Cinta. Um, it, yeah. I remember you know some of the main main characters on Ferrix, like uh, Brasso and you know, Marva, obviously. Um, and uh, Daedra, the the Imperial, you know the um, Daedra, yeah, yeah. The uh, I keep want to say I, I keep ISB. I keep want to say FBI, <laughs> um, ISB officer. But um, yeah, like all the div, and you know, obviously like Kino and and guys like that. But like there was all there were a lot of guys on the team in in the prison. There were a lot of people on Ferrix. There were a lot of people on the Aldani heist. That I'm like, I can't remember all these characters' names. Um, so yeah, I'll try to catch more of those on the second time well, around. And, and and to me, you know, Vel, Cinta, and I love Cinta is kind of hovering in the background a little bit. But to me, I just loved the aspect of having, um, you know, Clea, Clea, whatever her name is, having that, you know, having her and Vel that relationship kind of building up, and then all of a sudden, like Cassian, all of a sudden becomes a liability. They don't know where he's at. Um, that was interesting because I didn't know how they're playing that necessarily. And it, it was interesting to see that kind of develop over time with Luthen and just seeing Luthen's character and kind of, you know, how he's kind of just, even Mon Mothma doesn't know what exactly he's doing. Um, and it just kind of like, Oh my God, like I'm fun. I'm helping you fund this, but you're, you are not, to, I can barely even trust you. And you see that emphasis in this, in these episodes of building towards that and Luther just being that much more uh, of that blunt instrument that I think that he needed, he kind of needs to be to, you know, and that's the kind of thing, you know, his, to me, I, I, and I, listen, I, I respect Andy circus. I thought he did a phenomenal job in the episode to me, that episode, no, no way, you know, one way out to me, it's Luther's episode that, and people call it a monologue and it, it is, I'm not saying it's not, but one of the genius things about it as, you know, the, the informant from the ISB is coming up and, you know, and I love the, the pretense of what we get when Clea's like, he wants to meet with you. And, and like, you tell she's irritated, irritated. Like, what does this mean? And he's like, Hmm. Okay. Like he knows exactly how to handle it. And, but she doesn't, she's freaking out a little bit. There's a little bit of uneasiness with her even though she's very like, you know, rock solid in what she usually looks like, but you could tell there's a little uneasiness and you, as you see how he kind of almost assures her like, Oh, right. I got this. Uh, yeah, maybe I just, you know, is he nervous? Okay. I'll, I'll take care of it. Like, okay. And you could, I almost feel that Luthen sees this loose thread itself. We're talking about loose threads, you know, a little bit um, loose ends in the show. When Luthen's on that catwalk and meets with them, and the guy's like, I'm ready to get out. And, and Luthen hints at an oath that we kind of hear about later on. And we see Luthen kind of talk about, you know, kind of let him know, like, hey, I, I hear about this, you know. And it's a monologue, but it's a very natural monologue. You know, like usually monologues are very much on the nose. 
And it's kind of like, eh, you know, like not all the time, but it, again, monologues aren't bad. And this is a monologue, but it felt so natural. Like it's, I, I, it's, he's, he's almost getting a lecture that yeah. he's giving a monologue. Yeah. And that to me mm-hmm. is what people aren't giving him enough credit for. And the writing enough credit, it's not a monologue. He's lecturing that guy because at one point when he says like, you know, when, cause Luthen, this is the genius of the writing of the episode. This is where I give Andor all the credit because I love Luthen. Luthen has turned into one of my favorite characters ever in star Wars. Potentially. I, I freaking love him. And when he talks to, he's kind of trying to like, it almost feels like he's talking him off the ledge. Um, and he's like, listen, you know, this, that you can't do this. And he, and the guy keeps pushing at one point, you know, Luthen's just like, listen, man, like, you know, when, when, you know, Luthen trying to tries to play the game, tries to play hard a little bit, but he, you can tell he's, he's approaching him a little differently opposed to at first opposed to Andor or somebody else. Cause he yells at Val or Val, excuse me. He, he kind of, he kind of babies Andor a little bit. Like I don't say babies, but kind of like he tugs at the strings to kind of get him to do what he wants to do. When Mon Mothma is a little more hard edge, you see these different aspects of Luthen. And especially when you go with Saw, the two times he talks to him, there's he handles every situation so different differently. Like any good leader is is gonna kind of handle people, not handle everyone the same. He's gonna approach things a little differently, and in, in my opinion, so you know, different leaders, different times. Not every leader should be the same, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but in this instance, he understands that he can't treat everyone the same. He's got to do things differently for every everybody. What to me is when he loses it when the guy when the guy tries to call him out saying well what have you sacrificed luthan yeah and luthan is like oh let me tell you and that's you really what want to know <laughs> yeah that's when the lecture monologue comes in again i don't even call it like a monologue it's a lecture because he tells him you want to tell me what I've, I've sacrificed what about this what about that he calls him out and says i've sacrificed everything you know i'm giving up i am sacrificing everything every happiness because he knows the road he's going down is not going to lead. He's not the one to lead. He knows he's the one is the spark. And that spark has to do things. And sometimes that, that maybe even the people who are the true sparks or the Mon Mothmas that he knows he's the literal middle of Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera. And he knows he's damned. And I love that. He goes, I'm damned. He knows he's headed to hell. Like, and it's not, he makes no mistake about it. And he tells him. Whereas you have people who are trying to, to grasp onto that. Oh, I'm doing the good thing. And you know what? I have a family now I have to do. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but he tells him, listen, man, you're doing something for the good of things and you can still hide in plain sight. Me, I'm, I am destined to, I am destined to fall. And, and he makes no mistakes of accepting that. And I freaking thought that was one of the best that's one of the best things I've seen in TV ever in my life. Like, I mean, I'll put that up against anything in Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and I love both those series, Sopranos. Those, that performance and that instance in Star Wars is up with those greatest things in, in, in TV history. I Bar none. And I don't think that people give that, that scene even enough credit. That, to me, was phenomenal. Acting, writing, light, everything about that scene was pitch perfect. 10 out of 10. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in Star Wars, maybe ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would say people don't give it enough credit because I've seen people give it a lot of credit and I think it's all well-deserved. I think it just... 
Not enough credit, sir. Well, I think, and that's probably because it had to share the spotlight in that episode with the incredible uh, speech that Kino gave and that prison Kino breakout is sequence. Like- Third fiddle compared to that man. It's like See, comparing it's eleven out of ten to his. Like I don't. Seven and a half. I I I wouldn't entirely agree. I mean, I would say what? Uh, well, no. Here's the thing. And if you're talking about just the speech and just the, the writing the acting, of just the writing everything. of the dialogue, then yes, like L- Luthen delivers a better speech. But Kino's uh, with Kino, it's not just the speech, but it's the culmination of the whole prison storyline, and it's him. It's it's him inspiring everybody to break out so it's like it's not just the speech with him but it's that whole prison breakout sequence and the intensity of that and that for me like i said that's at least in in recent memory of anything i've watched the best prison breakout scene i've ever seen um and so that i also would put right up there against you know some of the other best stuff on tv so you're like i don't disagree with you about how great luthan's moment was i just think kino's was right up there as well I mean, yeah, it was an episode I, for I great know. speeches, that's for sure. But they're both yeah. different, too, as far yeah, as they're, they're, they're trying to get really across different. as well. But the performances were were great on both. And, yeah, it's almost like, oh, man, keynote speech was awesome. And then, like, Luthien's all, oh, you know what? You want a great speech? I'll outdo that <laughs> at the very end. It just felt like, because, like I said, they're different. But the intensity that Luthen had and the Stellan Scars got brought to that was just something else too. I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, the fact that we got both of those in two episodes is just awesome. <laughs> and just what's really makes um, one way out such a standout on all fronts. You put the, everything with the prison break and I'm not sure if it was the very last scene in the episode, but it was pretty much the end where we got Luthen's monologue there. Um, and just what a way to end it. Um, but yeah, there's two, great performances by two great actors um just really again the fact that we're getting this in a star wars series is just fantastic and one of those things that sets andor apart from the other shows that we've got um that again having that variety in star wars that we're able to get this type of storytelling and performances as well is just great to see in this episode so yeah it's kind of uh hard to see or not necessarily choose which one's your favorite, but I think just appreciate both of them for what they are and the points that both of those speeches were trying to come across at that point in the story for both characters. Both of them were just very impactful for each character who was given them. Yeah, definitely. But also, I mean, and you know, we, we talk about Luthen's speech in particular, but that was also sort of a pivotal moment in another uh, you know, interesting subplot that was going on where, you know, while you have Cassian in prison, you have the Empire bending over backwards trying to find him. And I love the irony of the fact that, like, they're tightening their security and and uh, imposing all these restrictions, A, to try to prevent anything like Aldani from happening again, and B, to find the people responsible for Aldani. Meanwhile, they already have the guy responsible for Aldani in prison, and they just don't know it because it's on some <laughs> random minor charge. Um I think it's not the guy responsible because Cassian didn't plan the whole thing. And they're still looking for, you know, they they realize that there's a um, a guy behind all this. And they know that Cassian was on Ferrix and that there was another guy that was spotted with him. And they suspect that he's been behind some theft of all these, you know, imperial equipment across these different sectors and stuff. So they're looking for Luthen. They don't know who Luthen is, but they give him the nickname Axis. 
Um, so you've got the Empire hunting for Axis and, and tightening their security and, and responding to all this stuff that's been going on. Um, you have Mon Mothma going through her own idea or her own ordeal, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, make connections and, and solve her money problem um, with the rebellion. You know, she's been funding this stuff that Luthen is doing um, and then realizes that, oh, the Empire now, because of all this tightened security, the Empire is now watching her accounts more closely than they used to. And so she even has to kind of get her hands dirty to um keep herself in the clear and keep the empire out of her activities and i love seeing that side of it i mean again you go back to row one and cassian talking about um how we've all done things that were uh you know things that we're not proud of on behalf of the rebellion and you've got spies and saboteurs and assassins but then you even think about people like mon mothma who are the figureheads and the political leaders and the people funding the operation and they have to do unsavory things too and um you know, you even see by the end that she's not selling off her daughter, but like agrees to set up a meeting between her daughter and this guy who's like a, a slimy crime lord back on her homeworld of Chandrilla, um, who's able to make her money problems go away. And you're seeing like that's how much the rebellion means to her that she's willing to jeopardize her daughter in this predicament. Um and so, you know, you've got that stuff going on with her. And it, there were some really great scenes. And again, I'm kind of giving an overview of this because, like, it all kind of blurs together. And I don't remember what happened in one episode. Um, but I think some of this was going on at the same time as the prison arc um, that you had, um, you know, like that party scene where she's talking to, like, an old friend of hers um who also was involved in like some rebel activities and they're kind of doing this dance where they're kind of trying to like feel each other out and she's asking him what he's been up to and he's talking about how like everything i'm doing is a front and uh you know you you see this face but it's really um you know it's it's not my true face or something like that and then she basically throws the same thing back at him and like he thinks that she's just his sweet old you know friend from school or whatever um and then realizes like, oh, no, she's in this, too. And maybe even more, you know, in deep, even more so than I am. Um, and that was also just a, a really great exchange. And there's some great stuff with her character. And Genevieve O'Reilly is just really doing phenomenal work in this part as Mon Mothma. I mean, it's it's too bad that, like, her parts got cut from Revenge of the Sith. But now, like, all these years later, getting to do stuff in Rogue One and Andor, like, she's getting to do more cool stuff with the character than we ever would have seen from that brief appearance in revenge of the Sith. Um, but then you've got, uh, you've got uh, Luthen who is, you know, trying to deal with the fallout of Aldani. They're looking for Cassian trying to figure out like, Hey, do we need to get rid of this loose end? Um, but he's also dealing with some other rebel activity and he's talking to Saw Gerrera. Um, but then also, um, I mean, the, the reason this whole speech comes about, you, like, we find out that he's got a, a contact or something um, in the, uh, and I maybe it was after this that he talked to Saw about it, but, like, he's he's going to talk to his guy who works in the ISB. We find out he's got a mole, basically. Um, and his mole has given him information that there's a, a different rebel faction leader, um, Krieger. See, I remember that guy's name, even though we never actually <laughs> meet Krieger. Um but he's just another another player in in sort of these all these upstart rebel cells um and he's got plans to attack a uh you know it's like the the empire intercepted a pilot learned about krieger's plans to attack this imperial facility um and it's like do we 
do we warn Krieger and, um, you know, basically blow our cover? Like, because the this is like secret intel within the ISB. Nobody else knows about this. So if Krieger calls off his attack, then they're going to know somebody leaked this and we have a, a spy in our ranks and they're going to like tighten their security. So do we do that and save Krieger and lose our source? Or do we let Krieger walk into this trap and die and uh, preserve our source within the ISB? And that's basically the choice that Luthen makes. Um, and there's some really interesting back and forth between him and Saw about, you know, what's the right way to go. Um, but it's when he's confronting his his mole in the ISB. And again, I don't remember that guy's name, um, but it's this really cool reveal where like Luthen, you, you have two different scenes where Luthen says he's going to meet a contact. And then this ISB guy says that he's going to meet a contact. And for both of them, you're thinking it's two separate scenarios and you're like, who's their mystery contact going to be. And I'm thinking, I'm even wondering with Luthen, like, is he going to go meet with like Bail Organa or Ahsoka or some other like rebel affiliated character that we know of already? Um, and didn't think much of the the ISB guy. He said like, oh, I'm going down to, to the Ring of Caffreen, which is where we see Cassian at the beginning of Rogue One. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going down there to meet with our man or something like that. When really he's going to check in with Luthen because he's been working for Luthen the whole time. Um, and just you realize like what this guy has been through, um, you know, he's, I think he says like he's been in the ISB for like six years or something and was basically planted there by Luthen to learn their secrets and stuff. But like for six years, he's had to live this whole other life. And he's saying like, all right, I'm giving you this this info about Krieger. And after this, I'm out. Um, and Luthen is trying to persuade him to stay. And when you talk about it being a lecture it's like Luthen almost doesn't give him a choice. He's like, hey, look, like this work that we're doing is important. I know it sucks, but like we need you here. And if you if you leave, like I'm losing a vital source and that's, you know, taking away from from our operation and, and things we can do against the Empire. And like, you know, basically just trying to convince this guy of how vital he is to the operation. And that's when he's like, you know, talking about everything that he's sacrificed. And he's like, yeah, easy for you to say, like, what have you sacrificed? And Luthen goes on this whole spiel about, um, you know, how, like you said, he's like, you know, how he's done so many terrible things and that his soul is damned. And he's, uh, you know, basically fighting for a future for others that he will never get to see because of the terrible things that he's done. And he has a, another great line about like, I'm condemned to use the weapons of my enemy to defeat them. Um, talking about how like the only uh, you know, sometimes like the only way to fight something as terrible as the empire is to use some of their own terrible tactics against them. Um, and again, that was all so, so fantastic and so well done. Like even jumping forward to the end where you see him, you know, take Cassian in at the end, it's like, this is kind of where Cassian learned. Um, I don't know, this sort of that ideology from just being able to building, being willing to do whatever it takes and not being afraid to get your hands dirty and kind of seeing the bigger fit, seeing the bigger picture and, and keeping an eye on like the thing that you're sacrificing for. Um, but sometimes having to do some unsavory things to reach that goal, it's like, Oh, you know, his, his speech at the end of rogue one, again, talking about um, doing things that I'm not proud of on behalf of the rebellion. It's like, Oh yeah, it would make sense that you would, uh, have a conscience about that when, you know, Luthen was the guy that brought you into to being a part of the rebellion. So, um, yeah, really great stuff on, on that side of things. Um, 
you know, during this whole arc as well and, and seeing all those different subplots come together. And again, just like I said, seeing all the all the gears turning of the inner workings of the Empire and the inner workings of, you know, the beginning of this rebel movement um, is just really cool. I mean, my sort of my big question at this point is where is Bail Organa in all of this? Because I thought he and Mon Mothma would have been working together a lot more closely by this point, but maybe not. Um, and I hope we get to see him in season two. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, all this stuff with, uh, you know, with Mon Mothma and Saw and especially Luthen and that, that big speech at the end of episode 10 was just fantastic. Yeah. And the other subplot too going on in this arc too was uh, with Didra capture or interrogating uh, Bix when she gets captured. Oh yeah. The torture method that they were using to try to break uh, their captures there and just I love how it was so some so casual for that doctor and his machine where she introduces him. He just like very politely just says hello to Bix, like, oh hello, like I'm your doctor <laughs> type of this, but yet it's so evil what he's doing and just the methods that they're going uh, using for torture. And how uh, the first I used it on again, characters don't remember their name now, but the father and son who owned that shop where she'd use that communications device to go uh, contact Luthen, how he was gets first interrogated and used um that or that device was used on him and that message was his mind and they decide just to hang him up in front on the streets of ferrix just so everyone can see and obviously that's going to have some repercussions down in the finale but again just that aspect of just the again the evil that the evil methods that the empire will do to get what they want try to maintain their control and their power it was just kind of it's all over the place in the series but in this arc that we're seeing in different avenues too with what they're doing with the prisoners um what they were doing to their uh captives that they're interrogating on ferric so just all around again just how the series just really showed uh the tyranny and the evil that the empire is capable of was stuff we've never seen before just brought to the forefront like never before and just again just really drives home of why this rebellion is needed and why everyone these characters that we're following especially like luthan we're just these are the reasons he's doing what he's doing and why he has to make that speech and why he does all those things uh, to fight this evil that uh, we're seeing firsthand that the empire is doing on this character so again all these different avenues just coming together to really driving home the crux of what the story of this series is all about yeah for sure um and then i guess the one other subplot that we haven't really talked about is the one with um cyril which which is probably my least in, in what i'm interested in to be honest and yeah like he's even where it ends i up could too. never really make yeah. heads or tails of his character um where and and i mean we'll we'll kind of get into to the finale and you know we're kind of headed that direction anyways but like you know, he's at first kind of on like a parallel path to Cassian where like the, the end of episode three is like obviously a big earth shattering moment for both of them. And they're kind of dealing with the repercussions of that. And then, um, you know, but he's just on this path where he's determined to still sort of like prove himself and make something of his life and uh, try to get in the good graces of the empire. And like, he knows about Cassian and he's, you know, he's trying to make himself useful. He's trying to, um sort of get noticed and make himself valuable and then he's like being creepy and like you know following daedra and she's like you know creeped out by him and he he thinks that they have some sort of special connection just because he gave her some important intel um 
and she's like okay like yeah you you served your purpose like go away now and he <laughs> you know keeps following her and is like no no like you know thinks that i don't know thinks that she owes him or thinks that uh you know it's almost like he idolizes her and like expects it's like those people that like stalk celebrities and just like fall in love with them and ex somehow expect that this person is going to feel the same way about them because they happen to bump into each other one time or something like that. Um, and then by the end, he saves her life in the, the riot on Ferrix and like, they have like almost a romantic moment. And I was just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. Like, and I've seen people online like shipping them and I'm like, wait, are we supposed <laughs> to be rooting for this guy? Because I'm not. And I really don't understand why we kept following his character the entire series after those first three episodes. Because, um, again, it was one of those things where like I expected him to maybe like hit a low point, rebound, enlist with the Empire uh give them some information to get close to cassian and then maybe at the in the finale he's like the adversary that cassian has to fight again he's like hey remember me or you know something like that which would kind of be the expected route and the show obviously doesn't do that and so it's like okay they're doing something kind of different and unexpected but it's like i that was the one thing that i was like i don't really get the point of this um, a couple of things that i'll say because these are some of the things i i i, I don't mind or I, I like about the show but not for the sake of time and just kind of like I'm not that invested in these storylines um, with Blix. Um, you know, I will say that the, um, the torture scene was really cool only because of that callback to the original uh, new hope scene. Yeah. That was, uh, a has that, that, has a, that was a great nod. Cause this show definitely has really held back on Easter egg stuff for the most part. And, and, and so when you get little cute nods like that, it's like, okay, cool. You know? And like you brought up, you know, even, bringing up bill organa i really felt they reserved this because i i for a thousand percent think he's coming back next season or he'll be he'll be there next season but i think they're just trying to establish this different kind of world if you will for lack of a better term with andor and everything and really have it be its own thing to and i, I do see, foresee a lot more connectivity just because of, of you kind of have to at some point right next season with with serial and deidre I, I like serial's character i he's definitely on a parallel journey with with cassian the difference is, is that Cassian isn't trying to join anything. He kind of was forced there. The Empire forced his way into it, whereas he is he's selfishly motivating himself and using this as a, as a way to get to where he wants. And you, and I wouldn't say he's using Deidre, but he's kind of like he's. You could tell he's be, he feels a connection with her, and it's not a real connection. And that's kind of the difference between this you know, very methodical machine like mentality that he represents. And that's what the empire represents opposed to a more free loving, you know, caring individual like Cassian, who's kind of a free spirit. And those are the two things you're seeing of the parallel journeys that you're seeing. And he thinks there's something there. There's nothing there. He's a, he's a robot that cannot understand human emotion. The only also the other, other, I think that's kind of what I read into it. The other thing I'll add into it with this whole season with, with Deidre and with, uh, which I think Deidre is a great character. Seriously. Um, yeah. The one thing I'm going to say is I do think he's still on that trajectory to be on the same level as Cassian, because now that you've established this, you have to kind of know he has to have an in with the empire to kind of be on that same level. 
and now establishing that, that there's weird connection between Deidre and him, there's pro as, as the time jump goes forward, we're going to see a more logical step of how he gets more involved with the empire with Deidre through Deidre one way or another, whether they're romantically involved. And then I honestly, I don't, I wouldn't even be, I would even be surprised if they're not romantically involved. It's just a weird relationship. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just like that. Yeah, but and, I, I mean, that's that's fair. It could be something where this is still sort of playing a long game and we're going to see him again in season two and he does come back to like be Cassian's oh, nemesis and be like, hey, remember when you screwed me over way back at the beginning of the episode? It's 1,000. He's he's in, he'll, no, don't get me wrong. Deidre and him are still going to be going after Cassian and, he, and he'll be involved in the Empire because of her and working that relationship up, but it's going to be a weird relationship. I'm, just, I'm, I'm putting money on the table right now. Yeah, no, I, I obviously we haven't seen the last of those two. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it'll it'll build to something in season two where we look back and go, oh, you know, this all now makes sense. But like, as far as his role in season one, every time it cut back to him, I was kind of like, why are we still here? Um, so I will say anyway. it does look like he has a cool set of uh, either clone troopers or stormtrooper statues in his bedroom. <laughs> where he was living. Oh, see, I didn't even catch that. It was like that. never in focus, but you could definitely tell they're troopers. But hmm. I like to I like to think they're clone trooper statues. <laughs> um, but also, so of course, going back to the prison break, we see you know everybody swimming out. Cassian gets away with Melshi, and they, they run away into the woods at the end of that episode. Um, and I love that in the next episode we do see them interact with some aliens that they're initially trying to steal a ship from, and then they. Uh, you know, these aliens like capture them. They're like hunters or whatever. And then they realize these guys don't love the empire either. And they're willing to, you know, take them where they need to go for free. Um, and so, uh, you know, Cassian and Melshi, they're able to, um, you know, kind of get cleaned up. They go their separate ways. They've each got their own missions. Um, I think Melshi's wanted to go and just like spread the news. And he's like, I got to go tell as many people as possible, like what happened in that prison and what the empire is up to. And Cassian wants to get back to Ferrix and check in on Marva and uh, everybody back there. Um, which basically leads to, and I, again, I'm, I'm kind of skipping over that 11th episode pretty quick. Cause that was again, kind of a, a bridge into um, what happened in the finale. Um, but aside but from that, that was also was the episode. I, I believe episode 11 was when Marva was where Marva died. Right. Yeah. But that was another great showing for Lutz in that episode. Not just his awesome space battle sequence, <laughs> mini space battle sequence that he had. Oh in the ship, yeah, 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 yeah. But his well, conversation. Yeah, because that's that's then the episode where he goes to to talk to Saw. Yeah, and, I was gonna uh, say his confrontation with about, Saw there. Krieger. Yeah, that was awesome. The way he was playing off of Saw's paranoia that we've seen of him already in Rogue One and even a little bit in Rebels. Um, just that I was just feeding off him and making him think that uh, Two Tubes was the one who betrayed him was a mole in his mm -hmm. own operation so all that stuff how luton the way he knows saw just manipulating him to uh, make him see and to have him not save krieger in that uh, mission there but that was just great to see luton and saw go at it there yeah yeah it was, and um i mean just i love forrest whitaker as saw in everything that he's in like i i've said it before i love the fact that he just keeps coming back and keeps popping up and stuff and he's game to, you know, keep being in Star Wars, even if it's, if, if it's for fairly small parts. Um, but the couple episodes of this season that he was in, I loved seeing that kind of back and forth between him and Luthen, where they're both 
they're sort of in the same camp where again you know mon mothma and everybody at this point is still kind of like biding their time building up resources and stuff whereas like saw and luthan are a couple of the only ones that are like out there taking action and like really trying to stick it to the empire um and both sort of not afraid of taking some extreme measures you know resorting to violence um but whereas saw is kind of more of a I wouldn't quite go so far as to describe him as a blunt instrument, but like he's a fighter. Whereas Luthen is like, he's, he's more than just that. Like he's, he's definitely a, uh, he's got the mentality of a fighter, but like he's fighting with his mind. Like his, his strength is obviously in his resources and his connections. Like he's not out there shooting on the front lines. Um, Although we also see with his ship, he can definitely at least hold his own in a fight in space. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but like he's he's just so so driven, so motivated, will stop at nothing. But like he's he's the mastermind. He's the one playing chess. Um, and uh, you know, again, he's he's like two steps ahead of where Saw is. Saw is just like, hey, where do I go to to fight the Empire? Like, who am I shooting at? Whereas Luthen again has like the moles and the spies and the, the connections and the money and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, which makes me wonder what the eventual fate of is, is going to be for his character. I'm sure it's not going to be good. Like he already knows it's not going to be good. Like I said, he, you know, in his speech, I'm talking about um, him fighting to secure, you know, a, a peaceful future for others that he'll never get to enjoy. Um, so I'm sure probably by the end of season two, he's, you know, going to go down fighting or maybe get executed by the empire or something like that. Um, but just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really cool to see um, sort of the difference in, in ideologies and methods between those two. And it, it's funny because like, again, from rogue one, we know that like saw was the extremist. He's the one that Mon Mothma and Bail Organa and everybody were like, we don't even want you as part of our cause. Cause you're too violent and too extreme. And now it's like, Luthen is even more extreme than Saw is. Um, Saw is like, hey, let's go blow up the Empire and save our friend. And Luthen's like, nope, we got to let him die to, uh, you know, preserve the source. And, and you know, again, he's thinking big picture. So, um, yeah, it's some some really great stuff between those two. Yeah, this, again, another standout episode for Luthen, even though, like, there's two... There might have been more scenes on that episode, but if it was, those were only two scenes, <laughs> but he made the most of it again. Just, he just chews up and eats up every scene that he's in, just making it a standout. These two were no different in this episode. Yeah, yeah, and that that space, you know, I hesitate to call it a space battle, but, yeah. you know, space skirmish. Um, yeah, and just seeing him get out cool. of the deflector, the tractor beam was just awesome. <laughs> using those that flares. To yeah, yeah. Uh, th that's one, that's one, uh, instance where there was another thing that i wish they hadn't shown in the trailers which was just like the laser beams coming out from the wings of his ship and then him doing the flip and like cutting through both of the tie fighters um because that would have been like if we didn't know that was going to happen i would have just been you know completely lost my mind because we've never seen a ship do that in star wars yeah. before um but it was still really cool to see that you know in like the full scene in the episode but um yeah, so then all of that, of course, setting the stage for the finale, um, where we get to the finale and find out that they did, in fact, just let Krieger die. Um, which, And then I don't think we ever see the, the ISB source again, but I'm sure that's another character that might come back around in season two. Um, 
but obviously, you know, this episode was titled Rick's Road and it was, you know, so much of it was just focused on what was going on on Ferrix. And it really was like all the storylines converging back together because Luthen was there. Vel and Cinta were there. You find out they're actually there to kill Cassian um, because I'll after all about that. Well, see, I thought that was interesting because after all this, like, um, and first of all, it, it was it was kind of a, a twist because we didn't realize that that was what had been going on this whole time, or at least I didn't. Um, but it's like the Empire is still the Empire is still trying to investigate after Aldani, and you know they're on Cassian's trail, and they don't want the Empire to catch Cassian and have it lead back to them. Like they're again trying to protect their operation at all costs and do what they've got to do for the the greater good. So they're willing to take out Cassian. Um, so you know got they're there about that. I'll wait. Till, I'll wait till the criticism of the show. <laughs> okay, um, but you know Daedra's there. Uh, Cyril is there. Um, you know Bix and everybody is there. But you know the the citizens of Ferrix are having um, you know Marva's funeral, um, and it, you know it was cool the the seeing even the build up to this where um, yep. Daedra and all the Imperials are communicating about talking about. Um, how like, oh, you know, they want to have the funeral at this certain time and they want to have this certain amount of people and, you know, kind of like imposing restrictions on them. But they're like, don't impose too many restrictions because we want to, uh, you know, we want to seem like we're letting them have their way and we want to draw Cassian out. Um, but I love how the people just like completely went against that. You know, it was like they wanted to start at noon or whatever. The Empire told them to push it back two hours and the people started when they wanted to start. The Empire told them only 30 people. But you see there's like more and more people crowding into this parade. Um, and it like I love how it starts as like there was kind of this tense moment between like Luthen and, and the Imperials. And it's like something was about to go down and I think they were, they were like looking for Cassian too. Cause at this point he's back and he was, you know, he had his friends and he's like sneaking around in the sewers and stuff. Um, but in the middle of all this, you just hear these drums start banging and, you know, again, the, the people just start filing out in this parade, you know, earlier than anybody expected them to. Um, and holding this procession for Marva where, and you know, I, I kind of like this cool tradition that they do on Ferrix where when someone dies, they, especially if they were like an important part of the community, they cremate them um, and incorporate some of their ashes into a brick that then, that they then place, you know, in one of the buildings. Um, and for Marva, it was going to be, you know, like right, right there in the, the town square there on Rick's road, because she was such a, an influential member of the community. Um but also I, I like sort of the implication that like, and we've heard Marva before talk about, you know, pushing back against the empire and also how she's kind of well-connected and even that she's, you know, she was old and her health was failing that, you know, back in her day, she had been an influential member and part of this, you know, social club and whatever. Um, but just, you know, you, you got the sense that like over the course of these episodes, there had sort of been this like resistance kind of bubbling on Ferrix that we didn't really see. Um, and here, you know, it's it's coming to the forefront. There's all these people coming out. Uh, you got the kid whose whose dad died. And again, this was one of those things where I was like, I need to go back and watch this again. Because when the kid was looking at the hologram, I was like, wait, who's that guy? I don't even remember him. Um, but was was that the guy that owned the shop that Bix was using yeah. mm -hmm. to send the radio? Okay, so for yeah. what, like, I remembered that. But for some reason, I thought that that was a different guy that we had seen somewhere else in the episode. Um, so I didn't remember that that guy had been, you know, hanged or whatever. Um, but now of course his son is building a bomb and he's, 
you know, he's marching in this parade. So, you know, there's, there's literally a, a, you know, a loaded bomb, like a, a ticking fuse in the middle of all this. Um, and, you know, they're, they're having this procession. They get to the square. The, the Imperial forces start lining up and uh, are, you know, getting ready to stop these guys. And, you know, nobody knows like how it's going to go down and what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, they don't stop. They keep pushing and they eventually get to, uh, you know, get to where they want to be in the middle of the square and uh, BMO comes up and projects this big hologram of Marva where she gives this big speech that she obviously, you know, recorded before her death and uh, starts by, you know, just talking about how proud she is to be part of the community and, and how much she loves the people of Ferrix and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, and it's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop it's like what's yeah. what's going to be the big turning point here and she starts talking about she's like you know there's something we need to address there's like a, a i think she says you know some a scar that's growing like rust or something like that um and then she, they've been like they've been so content and sleeping this whole time with a lot allowing the empire to kind of because they weren't involved just yet and they just kind of got comfortable in their ways and now it's here yeah. it's here to stay yeah. Well, again, it's it's like she's talking about this sort of vague threat or, or whatever, but you know she's talking about the Empire. And then, yeah, she talks about how um, it, it grows while we're sleeping or that it's it's never more powerful than when we're asleep or when we're not yeah, paying attention uh, yeah, to it or something like that. And just this great speech that, um, you know, again, like does sort of call to, you know, some modern examples of like, you know, different like fascist regimes and stuff. And it's like, that's how these bad things happen and how these bad people take power is by people not noticing or not doing anything about it. Um, and she's, uh, you know, just <laughs> they're, they're playing this out loud in, in the middle of the whole square and all these people are hearing it right in front of all these Imperials. And frankly, I was surprised that they didn't cut her off sooner. Um, but uh you know, and it's like the longer she goes on, the more direct she gets about how horrible the empire is and how we need to stand up to them and, and all that. And then, you know, her last words are fight the empire. And then that's when like the Imperial captain comes in and like knocks over BMO and uh, basically just a big riot breaks out and people start pushing back against them. I love that uh, Brasso, who's, you know, the, the big guy that's like Cassian's BFF, is he's the one that's been carrying Marva's brick, you know, with her ashes in it. And he just bashes a stormtrooper over the head with it. Um, but, and I'm like, you know, that's exactly what she would have wanted. Like you're making her proud right there. Um, but that was, I mean, just the speech alone was a great moment. I mean, you know, we talk about great monologues and uh, you know, all these great well-written speeches, like this was really her moment to shine. Um and again, you know, for, like I said, for a, a character that was important and you thought that maybe she would get some kind of last, um, you know, important moment like this. And then she ends up just sort of dying off screen to then have her come back with this, this hologram speech and really get sort of one last hurrah that really galvanizes the people of Eryx to uh, finally just, you know, sort of stick it to the Empire for the first time. Um was you know a, a perfect culmination of her character and like i said you know they really did her proud it was everything that i'm sure she would have wanted to happen at her funeral um but it just devolves into this chaotic situation uh you know first like just the empire is beating people people are fighting back with you know punches and bricks and whatever um and uh 
you know, finally, like you see the the captain lose control. I think is it after the bomb goes off that then they start shooting. Yeah, after um, the bomb goes off, Arcade just goes open fire. Fire. Okay. Yeah. So so the you know you have that kid. He throws the bomb, blows up a bunch of stormtroopers. The captain yells open fire. They just start shooting into the crowd and killing people. Um, in the middle of all this, they're also still trying to find Cassian, and he manages to elude them. Um, again, Cyril shows up and saves Daedra. Uh, Cassian is able to sneak into the hotel where they're holding Bix captive. And, you know, he breaks out with her and he gets her to safety with uh, Brasso and some of his other friends. You know, he gets her on a ship and they take off. Um, but he says that he's going to stay or he's got something else that he's got to do um, and that he'll meet up with them later. And, uh, of course, that thing is, you know, you see um, Luthen gets back to his ship at the end and Cassian shows up. He's in Luthen's ship and uh, realizes that, like, you know, he realizes that Luthen has come there to kill him. He's like, did you come here to kill me? And Luthen says, you're not making it easy. Um, and uh, I think, you know, at this point, Cassian realizes with everything that's gone on and, and sort of realizes how deep into everything Luthen is. He's like, this guy wants to take me out because I'm a loose end. And he says, go ahead and kill me or take me in. And it's, um, you know, basically just his way of saying like, hey, after all I've seen the Empire do, like I I'm in, I want to commit to this. Um, but also, I mean, the, it was interesting, the fact that he would be willing to risk his own life on that. Um and, you know, you could have different interpretations of that, but maybe just the fact that, like, he was so bent on getting back to to Marva and, you know, his I mean, I feel like really his whole motivation through the whole series, at least initially, was trying to help her, um, you know, trying to, you know, he was trying to pay off debts and like pay for her medical bills and like get her help and get her off Ferrix and stuff like that. Um, so with her dead, it's like, hey, I've got nothing left. Um and also it's like, you know, he's seen he, he's gone from like not wanting to get involved with the Empire and not really caring about the stuff they're doing to he's now seen so much of it that he's like, hey, like all I've got left is fighting these guys. So like take me in so I can help you take down the Empire or you might as well just kill me because, um, you know, there's there's nothing else here for me anymore anyway. So um, it was an interesting exchange. Like at first when he's like, you know, go ahead and kill me. I was like, wait, what are you doing? Um, but then he says, you know, or take me in and you just see the smile on Luthen's face. And, uh, it was like, okay, there's, here's where we're headed in season two. Like, we're going to start to see, um, you know, obviously more of the rebellion come together with Luthen and saw and Mon Mothma and everything and see Cassian become a bigger part of it. And, uh, you know, now we know how he really gets in deep. Um, but also, like I said, you know, knowing from row one, like his past and sort of some of the, the unsavory things that he's done, it's like, oh, it would make sense that he's headed down that path now that he's, you know, teaming up with Luthen and this is going to be the, yeah. the guy that he's learning from. So, um, yeah, it was a really interesting way to end it. But, you know, especially just that whole the the again, just the buildup of the tension the, this show builds tension so well with just the the pacing and the direction and the the cinematography and the music um you know the whole buildup of like that funeral procession down rick's road and having all the different players there and uh you know just kind of not knowing like what was going to be the the first big thing to happen or, or how you know what the resolution to the situation was going to be but you knew it was just like a powder keg waiting to explode and it sure did explode um and once it did, it was just all out chaos and and really just sort of like edge of your seat thrills the whole way through. So um, I thought it was a great finale. But um, yeah, what would you guys think? 
Yeah, I absolutely loved this finale. I thought it was just a great way to cap off this first season. And again, you, using the word you said, build up. That's just a lot of what the series was. And not just this in this episode building up to the big skirmish that we got on the on Rick's Road, but even if you look back on the first two or the first three episodes of the series and how, you know, even I said it was a criticism of it where those first two episodes really were slow burns to get um, the story going. But I think it helps even with this finale where you just really got to see the community of Ferrix and these people in amongst Cassie and circle, like his friend Brasso and everyone else that he interacted, be involved in this finale. All those, those early episodes just really helped sell just what a big moment this was for these characters and of, for those ones important in Cassian's life too. Um, it was just great to see come to this, culminate into this really big moment for all of them. And the whole thing with uh, Marva's um, hologram speech, I mean, just visually, I think it looked really cool. I don't know, it just reminded me something out of a Star Wars comic book, actually, because I read plenty of Star Wars comics, especially some in the Republic series um, and Legends, where there'd be big panel pages where you're seeing this big projection of a character speaking out to a crowd. And to kind of see that in live action, was pretty cool but yeah it was just the perfect way to get as you said you knew it was coming there was going to be something that sets the crowd off and obviously her speech was inspiring and firing everyone up to rise up against the empire and (laughs) i do like how kind of what got the whole thing started was that imperial officer lifting up and just throwing bimo over on the ground i was like Oh, like and then when you see that, like, oh no, that's not that's not going away unpunished. That's when Brasso just kicks that Imperial officer. Like, no, that's not happening on my watch. Because man, Bimo, talk about a joy. You just really feel sorry for man. <laughs> He's one that really tugged at your heartstrings, especially in the eleventh episode when Marva died, and just how saying yeah. he didn't want to be left alone, and Brasso was there, stayed with him, and then he took him in. So I just liked how they kind of had that connection. When he saw BMO get thrown down like that, it's like, nope, it's going down now. <laughs> like, we're not letting that go by. So I like how that was kind of what started the whole uh, riot that happened here. And man, it was just probably one of the most brutal action sequences we've gotten in Star Wars. I just really felt, um, it felt real in a way. I mean, that, some people are praising the series for that. Some have it as a criticism, but it just felt right for this scenario and this point of the story as we're seeing the people on ferric rise up against the empire i mean you just the, the way it was directed the shots they use you just really felt the impact of every blow that an imperial officer was making on a civilian um you felt oh like they the civilians these people they can't stand for it like they, you got to rise up against that and then every time a civilian would get a knock in on uh, an imperial officer like you it was like a cheer moment like yes you're getting it and that moment, boy, this is the most brutal aspect of it was when as the explosion went off and he just gives the order to open fire and just the stormtroopers finally hitting their targets and not mm-hmm. missing. They they killed a lot of just uh, civilians on Ferrix there. And you know me, I always like to when there's battles with the rebels and the empires, I like to see the empire finally, I always like to see the empire succeed in somewhat and have them get their shots, but not, not in this scenario where they're just mowing down unarmed civilians. Again, that's what goes to the impact that this moment had is just showing the brutality of the empire and what they're capable of. Like we never seen before in star Wars, quite honestly, I mean, we had moments like that, but I mean, you get moments like 
the Battle of Endor and Return of the Jedi and certain moments and how the troopers are treated in Rebels where they're just really incompetent. It's like, really? This is, this is like the tyrannical empire that's uh, oppressing the galaxy. There's certain moments where that kind of makes you like scratch your head and why and why this is they're that's how they're being used as but here like no this is yeah this is why the empire needs to be overthrown and the rebel alliance needs to be formed to take down this these this brutality from happening as we saw in this episode i mean it was just like i said it was brutal seeing this so many just those unarmed civilians uh get mowed down by the stormtroopers so yeah just very impactful this um action sequence that we got here for everyone involved because you know no one's going to be the same after experience a moment like this mm-hmm. um, cassie and brasso um bix everyone just in cassian circle those that survive i mean this, it's going to be changed forever and it just really again as we talked about the journey that cassian went on in this season how he was treated by the empire and seeing the what how the empire operates and the cruelty that they have and then to see this mixed in with the speech by his mother i mean that's got to be a huge inspiration for him offering to join up with Luthen. I mean, seeing everything that went down, plus hearing the words of his mother say all that, of course, I think that's going to kind of be the final push that he needs uh, to have to be all in on the rebellion now, just to have this be the focus on what his, you know, his life's going to be now to go against the empire for what he's experienced and to continue on uh, his mother's wishes and the fight um, that she had against the empire as well. So just everything about this was just, I thought, done so great. Uh, Going and getting having that exciting action in there, but one that felt really, uh, again, using that word impactful um, for, for all the characters, even us as the viewers too, um, just seeing all this stuff unfold. So yeah, it was, I thought it was really well done and just a great cap off a big, great culmination to what everything that built up came before and all previous 11 episodes up to this moment where nothing's going to be the same for these characters. And I just made me really excited to see what season two is going to have in store for us. Now that, Cassian's really going to be involved in the heart of the rebellion now. I just can't wait to see how this, all these experiences shape and move him forward uh, coming into season two. For me, season two or season one kind of ends. I liked the episode. I don't think I liked it as much as other people. I don't really know why I didn't dislike it, but I just didn't, I, I liked the aspects what they, what they did with it. And um, I, I don't know. I, I need to watch it again for sure. But I'll be honest, I unlike like the seventh episode and the sixth episode and even um, uh, the uh, one way out. I watched those episodes multiple times. The first three episodes, I watched a bunch. This last episode, I just didn't really feel it um, on, on a more of a, a, a funny moment. I I, I love the, the Merva scene. But I was on the Making Star Wars um, live stream a couple like, last week, and I talked about how the hologram looked fine close up, but like far like on the all the wide shots, her eyes looked really weird. Like I, it just it looked really, it looked it, the hologram looked weird to me uh, a little bit when when it's on the wider shots. Up close shots was was, was it, looked, it looked a lot better. But anytime it went wide, it just looked odd to me. Um, whatever. It, I digress. But uh, I got roasted for it too, by the way. So, um, <laughs> but which is fine. But the, the thing is, I, I would say that I, I loved all that. I love seeing the people rise up very much in line with, with Star Wars and, and like look at the Ewoks, you know, the Gungans, 
all that is the same universe. It all makes sense. When people are pushed to their breaking point, they will they will all rise against tyranny. It's just reality. It's what happens in human in, in his all of history in our in our world. And and seeing that was was, was awesome. Um, for me, I, I my main. It, I'm just going to get into it here because I, because I, I kind of echo everything for the most part, what you guys say, you know, the show. And for me, I, I like this episode, but it also felt like kind of lackluster. And I've seen a lot of people online talk about this, this season as this is the way Star Wars needs to be. And they try to pit against Obi-Wan against this and vice versa. And this is so much better. And, oh, and I see a lot of people. That's something like it's tiring. I've seen yeah, it does. all the shows against each other. Yes. And, and, and what's, what's really unfortunate is there, there's, it definitely appeals to a wider or excuse me, it appeals to a certain audience more than others. And that audience is so like, this is what I need. Oh my God. You know, but the thing about this series, which I'm really glad we got, is it's a different aspect of Star Wars. And but here's the problem: people because think it's because it's different, and it, it really emphasized everything on this, um, on the on building up these certain these little, these other characters. And I mentioned before that it has some advantages going into it because it's not really what really well known like character who's a main character, and all these other characters you can kind of build up naturally, and people aren't going to have preconceived notions like, huh. Yeah, well, this character that needs to be here because it needs to step up for Obi Wan to like Reva. Who needs this character? Oh my, you know, there's always an excuse, right? This or that. You don't have that because there's no one really build up for Cassian because they make Cassian kind of like a loser already a little bit, you know. So the show already has a lot of things going for going for it from a storytelling aspect, and people really have raved and raved and raved, and I think have to be honest, kind of this is going to sound a little bit of a hot take. They've kind of made it overrated in and of itself to me a little bit where I'm like, uh, and, and when I say overrated, I, I love the show. It's my second favorite of series of all the star Wars series we've gotten behind Mando season two. Still the greatest of all time. You, you heard her here first. The thing no is argument from you there. <laughs> the, 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 the thing, the, the problem with, um, Andor is not even the show itself. It's the people who are watching it and building it up on this pedestal, how this is the greatest thing. And this is all oh this way Star Wars needs to be. The problem is they're at that. It's flawless. There are a lot more flaws than people give her credit for. And it drives me nuts. And I've talked about Tim. I've texted you. Cause I, I, after the season, I started thinking, I even brought up on the show on the making Star Wars live stream. I said, you know, I have some problems and I'm a little irritated because people are out there saying like, this show is perfect. Blah, blah, blah. This is the way it's going to be. There are a lot of things they did in the show where I'm like, eh, I don't know if that was a good idea. And Cyril Karn is, I think, I, I don't think as much of a negative or, or, or a criticism, but I could see where you kind of mentioned it before, Kyle, a little bit, not like criticism, but not the strongest of the characters. I would say that um, he works for me. I don't mind him. My main, here's my main issues with the show. I'm just going to hear it out right here, okay? My main problem is this. The sister. The sister was literally the crux of this whole series because he's there on that planet and he gets involved because he's looking for his sister. It's emphasized heavily. And in retrospect, you don't even need to have that as the main crux. He could be there just sleeping around. And it makes sense. But instead... They emphasize the sister becomes this whole emphasis. And then it just gets kind of like meanders around and just disappears completely. Now I don't expect him to address that mid season when he's in jail and all that stuff. I'm not saying that the problem is 
it's never touched on. And when you have a show, even with a show like this, where you drag on a lot, which is again another criticism, again, minor criticism. But the thing is, you only you have certain things you bring into the show for a reason, and it's mentioned more than once that are heavy. Again, is essentially the MacGuffin of the show for Cassian. It's never brought up again. And it's kind of like, eh, like you, you not even a mention of his sister. Like, you know, right now I got to pay off debts because I got to pay off my, I got to take care of my mom and I got to take, I got to find my, my, my sister. And it's never talked about like Merva. I didn't know she was even sick. And I'm like, huh, there just wasn't a lot of emphasis of motivations of why Cassian is doing what he's doing. Cause when he says, and we get a little bit of aspect with, with his father, right? When they see him, he, him hanged, there's ni- that's nice to that's not nice, nice to see, but it's nice to see a why he's upset. Because look at that see that scene in Rogue One when he says, "I've been in this fight since I was six years old. You're not the only one who lost everything." It, it just seems like it it's not as emphasized to me with Merva kind of just passes away naturally, and it's like, oh man. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem as impactful as like when his father died. It seemed like he, the Empire took literally everything. When he's got his sister, his mom, they didn't necessarily take her away, them away necessarily. But I don't know. It's just, but at the it, same time, I look at it where the Empire took him away from being with his mother at. But it's not. But end. again, that's not emphasized. But at it, all. I don't think it needs to be. It's like it does. You know he's it in does. jail, and you know it's because of the Empire, and that's why he's not with her. And but why? But, but again, what is? But why? Why does he do all Donnie? He wants to pay off his debts. He's got to pay off, and he has to, he wants to get his mom taken care of. And again, going back to my other criticism, I don't understand how Luthen is. And again, it's both a criticism and it's kind of like, okay, I can see Luthen's aspect of this a little bit. But even then, Luthen going from, oh, Andor, I need you. I'm, uh, I need you, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you Luthen, kill him. And he goes there to kill him himself? What? It's like when he knows Synthes there, it's again, it's not, this is not like the worst thing in the world, but these are flaws in the storytelling. They're, they are, they're mm-hmm. straight up flaws. And they're aspects that they have not touched on or they kind of breeze through while they spend another three episodes of, in a plain white room of Cassian being around trying to convince Kino to defy. You know, it's like there are storytelling aspects of this that are not perfect and kind of flawed. And are, they take a little bit of liberty as to be like, eh, okay, I kind of live with that. And I, Luthen is, is, is one of those things where I, I live with it. I don't like it. I don't like how it's handled at the end of the series specifically if he were to be like you know what you guys kill him i'm good and he's often doing his own thing i'd, I'd believe it more the fact he goes there when Vel's already there Senta's there what the hell it doesn't make sense to me also you can set up the very end which i like the very end again i like where it ends and also it's just like you know i'm gonna kill you and then like casting like you're here to kill me it's like wait how do you know that it's just it's just not it's com- it's not a complete you know natural path to get there it's a lot it's a little rockier how it ends for me and it makes me go okay again these are things i live with but i have to see all these people online claiming that this is the this is flawless 100 the best star wars writing ever it's like don't act like this is completely flawless there are a lot of storytelling aspects of this that are i think in me valid criticisms i love the show regardless i'm not saying they're like 1000 awful but they are flaws in the storytelling I don't think you can argue that against it very much, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and I mean, 
I I definitely agree with two of those. The, the the fact that it starts off with him looking for his sister and then that's never really addressed again. I didn't even really remember that until I saw people bringing it up after the finale and I was like, "Oh yeah, whatever did happen to his sister?" Um and then also, yeah, the fact that Luthen is on Ferrix at the beginning of the finale that he and Vel and Cinta are apparently all there together to to try to conspire to kill Cassian. It did feel a little It takes 3 Always oh, yeah, the, so the, the, mo the motivations <laughs> of why everybody was there at the beginning of that episode was a little fuzzy. Contrived? Um, yeah. It looked yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's not look, a bad I'm, thing. I'm agreeing with you. Like, it, it, no, no, I know, was... I know, I know you're, I know you are. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to tell people out there, listen, I'm just bringing this up because it, it's not, it's these things, people are giving Andor a pass where I think if this were, Boba Fett or Obi-Wan where people are ready to just rip it at shreds because it's it's all legacy characters in a sense people would be like oh, what about this what, what about that oh god how everyone's just on there on the end of Ferrix oh how convenient this is terrible Ugh. but it's like Gilroy and it's like you know and, and again the show has like also six basically almost five hours of extra like you know uh, story time to develop and and marinate on aspects of the show. People accept these things, and then it's like, but there's still even with five extra hours of a show, how Luthen and all them get there, and like you said, Kyle, it's just kind of like eh, it's still not exactly a full a great landing. It's like what? It's it's just yeah. It's, it's like yeah. It's ahead. like you're trying to kind of figure out what's going on and why you're, you're trying to suss out everybody's motivations. You're like, what's going on with, with Luthen and Cinta and Bell and what's going on with Daedra and uh, why the heck is Cyril here? And, you know, in the middle of this big tangled web through the middle of it comes Marva's funeral procession sooner than anybody anticipated. And that kind of steals the thunder Um and that really obviously is the, the main crux of the episode. It's the highlight of the episode. And I think that delivered spectacularly. And then I think they resolve things well. And I think that's why people don't linger on some of the issues as much. Um, but yeah, it definitely, like, it has some flaws. Um, and I think it's fair to call out those flaws. Like, I would not give the show overall a, you know, a, a perfect 10 out of 10. Um but I would say overall, it's it's very well done. And the stuff that it does well, it does very well. Um, and, you know, maybe it was a little slow in the beginning. Like we said, each of those first two story arcs kind of took some time to build up. And, um, you know, it felt like there was maybe a, a little bit of a loss of momentum between episode three and four and then building back up to episode six. Um, but I really did feel like the back half of the season really kept the momentum rolling. I was you know, eager to tune in every week. I was excited to see where it was going to go. Um, and yeah, overall, I'd probably give the whole season like a, a nine out of 10, maybe 8.5 at the least, if I really wanted to to get nitpicky about some stuff. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it, it's definitely some of the best stuff we've seen in Star Wars as far as just, um, you know, like we talked about tension and and building suspense and, um just you know writing and, and performances and dialogue um it's just you know some some really well executed stuff but at the same time like we talked about it definitely is i think it works really well as its own thing 
I'm excited to see more of it. I can't wait to see season two, but this is not what every Star Wars thing needs to be. Um, Now, could we see more of this going forward? Like, you know, I would love to see the Acolyte maybe be a show that's kind of done more in this style, but with like Jedi and Sith. I think that would be really cool. Um, But especially with stuff like The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, where it is the more sort of like fantastical, whimsical, adventurous side of Star Wars. Like that doesn't need to be like this. And this doesn't need to be like that. And it really Mm -hmm. is kind of apples and oranges comparing the two. Um, You certainly can have your opinion and, and prefer one over the other. But as far as, I mean, I, I would argue that Andor and you know, season two of the Mandalorian both did just as well of a job in executing what they set out to do. Um, You could argue that the acting is better in Andor or that the performances are better in Andor, but like, or the, 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 the writing or, you know, certain, like the directing, you know, certain aspects like that. But like the Mandalorian is not trying to win, you know, Emmys for like, you know, best screenwriting or, um, best performances or anything like that. It's just supposed to be fun, exciting star Wars. And that's exactly what it is. So, well, can I, and, and one of the things you, you touched on, and this is, and this is actually a very positive thing for Gilroy. And I, I, I picked up on this a couple of times. I sent you guys the, 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 um, the interview and he did a lot of interviews, man. God, he did. And, you know, he seems like a very interesting personality. Um, he seems a little pretentious in my opinion. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but there's a little pretentiousness, snobbery in him. And I'm like, that I, I pick up on that I'm not exactly into, uh, you know, a little bit of arrogance there that I'm just like, eh, but you know what? I, the, the results are the results. I love everything he's pretty much done in star Wars. So I don't want to say like, Oh, this guy sucks, but it gives me a little bit of a kind of a negative vibe in that way. Um, a little bit. That being said, he said something in these interviews. I thought a couple different different ways, a little bit in different episodes. I thought was really interesting, and I'm, I'm and I, this is where I think they need to really look at his stuff and and go, okay. He and going back to what I said earlier about no aliens in that jail scene and for saving budget, he worked the budget to uh, the absolute penny, and he talked about that that we didn't waste time. We didn't waste money on scenes we didn't need and co- things we didn't. We did everything to what we absolutely needed. They utilized everything. And they utilized outdoor sets. They utilized the sets they built. They utilized everything they could to make this efficiently and it looks as incredible as possible. And that's where I'm going to say is probably Gilroy's most underrated aspect of this whole series. That whole part has been incredible. And I want Star Wars to look at that going forward because it looks the best out of all of them. And I, I think part of it is because they sacrificed in just in every, they did everything they could to the nth degree and save as much as they could and cut as much as they could where they needed to, to be where, what it needed to be. Mando, I think is close. It definitely gets too hallwaysy at times. And I think uh, Obi-Wan kind of is too obviously filmed at California locations even though I thought parts of obviously of, Man- of Obi Wan looks incredible, they obviously spent their their uh, their budgets in different areas and differently than Andor did. And Andor had also more episodes to kind of you know prolong. That all being said, I think the biggest to me, I, like you said, Kyle, 
the show looks the best. And I think this to me is what I think they need to look at for quality going forward. Mandalorian season two isn't far behind from this, but it definitely falls in the tropes of, of, of like of the, of the season one of uh, Mandalorian where everything's in a hallway. I mean, even like great episode in season two, when they meet up with, um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember her name, uh, Bo-Katan and everyone. And then like, if they fight basically in a hallway in a ship, it's basically a long hallway, you know, it's like, it's stuff you just deal with whatever. But, um, I, that, again, that's my biggest critic criticism of episode of season two is, is that, but that said, like, you know, so, you know, Mandalorian went on ice planets and on all kinds, it's, it's crazy. So to me, it's just, it really is about utilizing your budgets, but I think Andor showed you what you could do with that limited budget. You can make it look real good. And I think that Gilroy kind of, kind of put that out there. So, Kudos to Gilroy again. Um, I thought he did a great job writing. His team is great. I, I and also there's the, the budget and the arcs. That to me shows you that the that the Clone Wars arcs wasn't just Clone Wars, and it emphasizes that I think the, where I think this this series would have been better marked as a like one like specials rather than episodes. Having three episode things, you know, whatever. And yeah, I, I think it would have been better that way overall. But either way. Um, I, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely something to this whole arc situation. And I think that going forward, Mando, anything Star Wars related for TV series might want to go that arc aspect going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll see, um, I don't know, going forward, how much more stuff we get that's like this, but obviously, you know, we've got more Mando and Ahsoka coming and stuff, and that's going to be its own thing. So I'm just glad we're getting, you know, so many new Star Wars shows and so many different styles and, uh, you know, Mando's great. Andor's great. Uh, can't wait for season two. You know, I know it's going to probably be a couple of years before we get to see it. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to getting more of this. Um, you know, when they're ready to give it to us and can't wait to see what other kind of new different styles of star Wars we get with the acolyte and stuff. Cause I mean, honestly, you know, that's the big thing for me is like, when uh, Disney plus was first announced and we were going to get, you know, all these different styles of, of star Wars shows. And even back when it was, you know, just spinoff films and we were going to get one of those every other year in between all the movies, you know, I was looking forward to seeing what different types of, um, you know, styles of star Wars stories we would get. So love that we're getting to see, you know, some stuff like this, that's kind of, you know, tonally different from, um, from some of the other stuff that we're used to. So um can't wait to see, uh, you know, like I said, season two and, and all this other cool stuff going forward. But um, I think we've been, you know, going long enough. We've, you know, been able to to give our thoughts on, uh, you know, this whole second half of the season. Um, Tim actually had to take off early. So uh, it's just going to be me and Paul signing off here. But uh, just want to say thanks again uh, to all you guys for listening. Uh, thanks to everybody that, you know, sent us messages and congratulated us on our 10 years and 200 episodes. Uh, you know, really appreciate all the, the feedback and shout outs from you guys on that. Um, and then give me a second here and I will do Tim's job and pull up the Twitter and read some responses because I know we put out some stuff about um, recording about Andor tonight. Oh yeah. So we just put a post saying, uh, you know, we'll be recording a new episode tonight talking about the second half of Andor. So be sure to let us know your thoughts on the series as well. And, uh, Adam Lance Henriksen replied and said the finale with its marriage of music and film is my second favorite star Wars moment. Second only to Vader telling Luke that if he doesn't join him, perhaps his sister will. The season was definitely a slow burn, but the payoff was incredible. 
Uh, Chris Sparks said, it was definitely a slow burn. I was fascinated by the internal workings of the Empire and the ISB. The eye was absolutely beautiful and the funeral was awesome. Great dialogue and fantastic acting throughout the series. Shame we have to wait so long for season two. Uh, Paul at Mr. P. Stew said, perfect. It's a great example of what can be done with Disney Plus. Taking a chance by moving away from the fantasy genre has really paid off. Uh, and Jacob Miller said, I loved Andor. Definitely going to have to sit down and watch all watch it all in one go now. Can't wait for season two to see how Cassian meets Mon and gets more involved in the Alliance side of things. Um, so, yeah, definitely like thank you guys for for your responses and uh, for engaging on that. And, you know, like we said, also can't wait for season two and uh, to get to see um, just more of Cassian's journey and obviously start to see more of the connections and stuff that we know building up to Rogue One. I'm really looking forward to seeing K2SO in season two. Um, and yeah, I think we already have it confirmed that like Alan Tudyk is coming back for that. Um, they can, I think they confirmed that like pretty early on when they announced yeah. the show and then it was announced that he wasn't going to be in season one. So I'm looking forward to finally getting to see him. Uh, K2 is one of my favorite droids in all of Star Wars. And of course, we'll get to see more of Luthan and Mon Mothma. And I'm hoping that we get to see maybe Harris and Dula, maybe Bail Organa. Um, some more of these rebel characters that we're, we're used to seeing. So um, yeah, it'll be, it's unfortunately going to be a long wait for season two, but we'll have plenty of other Star Wars to hold us over in the meantime. I mean, next year we're getting Bad Batch, we're getting Visions, we're getting Mandalorian and Ahsoka and, and Skeleton Crew and everything. So I'm sure it's going to feel like no time at all before we're back at another season of Andor um, with lots of other cool Star Wars stuff to look back on in between. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, you know, thank you again for all of you guys for chiming in. Um, and of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, chime in on posts like this, you can uh, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. Send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. Um, and you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Uh, also, I think I mentioned on the last episode that we had made an Instagram page and now I'm having some technical issues where I'm not able to log into said Instagram page. So I might have to scrap that and start another one, but we'll see. Um, but once I get that fixed and up and running, we'll be posting stuff on there as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to do it for now. Um, hope you guys, uh, you know, enjoyed listening to our review of Andor as much as we enjoy talking about it and watching the show. So, um, thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you all next time and may the force be with you. Godspeed Rebels!